Welcome back, everyone, to episode two of the Loyal to the Game podcast brought to you by 613. I am your editor, Jack McCool, and I'm joined by the host, Caleb Hugh, and the co-host, Jaden Jones, as always. We've got an excellent show for you today. We have an amazing guest, Ryan Barbo, a Belleville basketball legend, joining us later in the show. Uh, we get all of his uh, insights on coaching and playing overseas and playing uh, for OFSA championships and uh, OUA championships alike. So he's an awesome guest, and you'll want to stick around to hear our conversation with him. Uh, Caleb, play in tournaments over. Did you catch that Golden State Memphis game last night? I did. I did. And Jaden would be my witness. And you were on the call too when I said Memphis was, was going to take care of Golden State. I thought Golden State's offense, as fun as it is to watch, we all love hero ball. Uh, it's entertaining, but I thought they were flawed. And it, uh, well, I mean, it was a good game, but uh, Memphis got it done. And I just like to say, you know, teamwork trumps talent. What'd you think? I, I loved it. I thought it was an amazing game. And I, I really, I, I thought it was interesting that Jackson Jr. didn't really even see the floor in the end of that game. I know he had the foul trouble and JV had ran into foul trouble as well throughout that game. And, and I, I really liked that Memphis sort of won that game without just abusing their big men over like Looney and Draymond too. But and then went to overtime super exciting so uh i'm glad the play-in tournament's done that extra stress i didn't need that in my life but no it was super fun to watch and the play-in tournament's definitely here to stay but uh well, on this oh sorry to cut you off go ahead you know what what i found interesting is we were talking about the the big guys like your point but they were in foul trouble early right um jb he does foul a lot we love we love jb like i think i don't think there's uh any debate that he's uh he's a soft spot in our heart for him um but it wasn't really, it wasn't them who I was impressed by. So although I was right for calling, you know, Memphis to, to get that win, um, who impressed me and kind of, you know, shut me up a little bit was, was John Morant. Like he made shots down the stretch and tough shots, um, but shots that they keep saying guards need, you need to have that, that mid-range game. As much as we say that it's not about the mid-range anymore. Well, there's times where it really is when it comes to getting those tough baskets down the stretch you need a shot you can get um because the teams are taking away the three-point shots they're not giving up a layup so you got to be able to create something and he was hitting you know big big floaters and he was also shooting from behind the line <laughs> not that bad. i think we finished five for eight maybe five for nine from the three-point line and uh a 30-point game uh 38 maybe or 36 um so i was talking to to my wife uh, about it during the game and i was like you know what John's great, but I, I would guess that he has maybe 10 30-point games on the season, or less than 10 is what I said, on like in the, the games that he played. Uh, so she looked it up, and it was right on 10. So, it, you know, it's not like he's, he's had uh, big performances like that very often. And uh, it was fun. There's a lot of Joff, Joff fans out there, and uh, uh, my wife and I, we, uh, well, actually, she coined it. She calls him uh, – red dread redemption because of the uh, <laughs> cool hair so i thought uh maybe we'll try and get that to stick but a, a lot of fun and uh memphis it'll it'll be a good you know grinded out kind of battle between them and them and the jazz and i'm actually that's great i love steph but i'm happy that the the grizzlies are are in the playoffs i want to see more of them no i totally agree and, and i think we're going to see a lot more of them going forward and uh, I tweeted out last night, I, I, the residue I had like left in my mouth from that game was that we're going to look back on that game in a few years. And it's going to be the game where we talk about the start of John Morant being a superstar. 
that was kind of like the impression I left that game with. He just played so well. And I was so impressed. He had 15 in the fourth and OT. Um, and I was just so impressed with his like will to win. Like he took it upon himself. He didn't defer to his other guys, to the veterans. He, he took it upon himself and took it at the best player in the league over the last couple of weeks. So it was really impressive performance in my opinion. What'd you think of your boy? I know you got a lot of stock in uh, Kyle Anderson. Maybe that calling him your boy is too much, but uh, you mentioned that you, you thought he was playing a great game. No, he most certainly is my boy. I love slow-mo Anderson. I just think it's hilarious that he can be so good on both ends too, while being like what appears to be like dead slow in comparison to the other guys on the floor. But like he, he was great last night. I know he didn't score too well, but he rebounded it well and he, he, played great d had like three blocks and two steals so it, it was an all-around effort by memphis you saw contributions from like rookies like uh desmond bain as well it was just it was a great game to watch and i'm, I'm excited for playoffs now it's i've got that playoff uh the playoff taste in my mouth and I, I all i want is to eat more so i'm excited so for our audience you know we are recording this on on saturday afternoon it is uh 225 on my clock so big the playoffs are currently underway. I actually don't know the scores of them, and I hope you guys don't tell me during this. But uh, we are, yeah, like you said, playoff basketball is, is uh, upon us, and uh, we're, we're ready to get, get cooking. And, uh, I mean, as we'll get to later, uh, I, I already know how the playoffs are going to play out. I'll share that with you guys uh, with my take a little bit later. Uh, Jaden, what, uh, what were your thoughts on the game last night? It, it was a rough one. <laughs> um, as a Warriors fan, it was tough to see. Uh, I did have a couple bets laid on, uh, laid there. I had uh, Steph Curry obviously hitting uh, over two and a half threes, and I also had Dylan Brooks hitting over two and a half threes. Steph did his part. Dylan Brooks didn't do his. Um, but one thing I did take away from that game to go along with Jack's statement on John Morant was the defense that Dylan Brooks played on Steph Curry. It was a nationally televised game. It was a huge game for both teams. And Dylan Brooks ended up sticking to him like glue. And it was, it was great to see. It was great to see him um, really get into Steph's head and saying, you're not going to get any easy looks. Now, Steph did have 39 points, I believe, at the end of the game. But Brooks did all he could do. There's not much you can do when a guy gets cooking like that. So... I was very impressed with Brooks. Uh, uh, for John Morant, I loved his patience. I loved his um, his shot choices. He didn't always settle for the three. He wanted to get uh, a paint touch. He wanted to to get down low. He wanted to get those easy floaters. Um, I was very impressed by him and, and the numbers that he put up last night. One thing that was uh, also good to see, and I know that we had talked about it in the past, was uh, Draymond Green. He took more shots. Um, unfortunately, the one at the end of regulation didn't drop for him, but you could really see him trying to be aggressive and trying to pick his spots where he can attack the basket. He can hit an open three. He can <clears throat> kind of take over the game when Steph's being smothered by uh, a player like Dylan Brooks. So that was also great to see. Overall, you got to give it up to Memphis. They deserve to win that game. Their defense was incredible. They were very locked down. Um, no easy buckets type. It, it was very... Uh, 2004 2005 type Memphis Grizzlies defense that that you really love to see and their their next adventure against Utah is going to be very interesting to see if they can bring that same defensive intensity against the number one seed in the west 
Yeah, for sure. And uh, if they're able to protect their own three-point line too, that'll be super impressive given the way Utah shoots it. All right, guys, but speaking about those first-round matchups, uh, Jay, I know you had your eyes on the Clippers and Mavs in that 4-5 matchup in the West. So uh, what do you got to say about that? Yeah, some one player in particular that I'm really looking to have a breakout playoff season is Kristaps Porzingis. Now, we all know his story came from the Knicks, the arguably the worst uh, franchise in sports uh, with the worst owner, got booed in, during his draft, um, ended up becoming what they call a unicorn, uh, special abilities. He's seven foot tall, can shoot the three, athletic, can get to the rim, that sort of thing. He has had injury problems these past couple seasons. I'm really looking forward to him kind of breaking out, being that uh, Robin to uh, Lucas Batman sort of thing. Uh, right now, Kristaps averaging 20 points, uh, nine rebounds, two assists. He's having a very, very solid season so far, but the playoffs are a whole different monster, as we all know. And this Dallas Mavericks team is built for playoffs. They're a very tough, hard-nosed team that can has shooting ability all up and down the lineup. They, they're very deep, and with their starting lineup, which is usually Luka, Tim Hardaway, Dwight Powell, Finney Smith and Porzingis, I think that they're going to be giving the Clippers some problems. Uh, Serge Ibaka for the Clippers just came back from injury. He's been having some decent games at the end of the regular season, but going into playoffs, like I just mentioned, it's a whole different beast. So I'm really looking for Kristaps to take advantage of that matchup if they are, in fact, matched up against each other and really spreading him out uh, beyond the three-point line so that he won't be the um rim protector for the Clippers which will free up more space for guys like Hardaway Jr. uh Doncic and um and even Josh Richardson too who is another uh, underrated underrated player for the Mavericks so Dallas is a team I'm looking to uh, maybe upset the Clippers um and move on to the second round but we'll see they play their first game today and, and I'm looking forward to kind of seeing how that plays out yeah for sure Caleb what do you think Porzingis has to do to fit better alongside Luca once the game slows down this playoffs? Whew. Uh, stay healthy. <laughs> easy one. Um, Chris, uh, like Porzingis, he needs to show something. He's supposed to be the second guy. Luca is a superstar that can carry a team. But when's the last time a one-man show won the title, right? You need a second guy. He has to be the difference maker in that series. The Clippers, you know, they – they don't really have an answer. They shouldn't. This is a seven foot three offensive. Like he's a unicorn. He was the original unicorn. They need him to step up if they actually have a shot at winning. So if you know there ever is a time for Porzingis, like that would be a cool story. That is something that uh, you have to hope for as a Dallas fan. Like you know what, Porzingis is going to be the guy we're talking about at the end of this round. Um, so what he can do specifically is uh, honestly just like. Go to the post. I know it's not like who you can get a shot over anyone like, or when Luca goes out, that's when you like, we're, we got to play through Porzingis. If Luca even takes time off, well, he's going to have maybe three minutes a game, but if he gets in foul trouble, like play through Porzingis, get surge in, in free throw or in foul trouble by getting to the free throw line. Uh, surge had used to have a history of jumping for every up fake. So you should be able to get him in, in foul trouble. Um, and there's no substitution for, for height. Like you can't teach it and he should be able to get a pretty good look 
at the rim wherever he is. So I don't think he should settle for threes. Like, go be big. Like, anyone can shoot threes. It's, it's old school traditional way of thinking. Like, my big man, I want him to dominate inside and get no higher percentage shots. Like, we can have our guard shoot threes. We got Tim Hardaway. We got uh, Brunson, Luca. But what we don't have is someone that can, you know, gets uh makes baskets 60 percent of the time inside and there's no one that should take that away from you even even as great as Kawhi and uh and paul george are defending you that you gotta create uh a mismatch with with your size and basically put the ball in the basket jack is it uh, the the simple explanation he, he's got to make shots and he's got to you know take uh take some some pressure off luca of course defensively he's got to alter some shots too uh I'm interested to see it, and I, I really like Jaden's Jaden's uh, take because if Dallas is going to make the run, it it it'll, it's on the shoulders of, of Porzingis more than Luca, in my opinion. But also, if they have uh, KP out on the out on the perimeter most times, like I said, that'll draw Ibaka, who will most likely be guarding him, out to the perimeter, and then I don't think LA has any more like real shot blockers at the rim, which will allow Luca, who will d- most likely predominantly have the ball to either drive, take it to the hoop, or do what he does and, and hit that very quick uh, step back um, on them. So I think as long as they can get the shot blockers out of the paint area, I think Luca probably could average 30 in this um, in the series. Yeah, definitely. I think one thing with Porzingis that I noticed is is he always, whenever they set that like one five, one four, or pick and roll with Luca and him, he always pops like every single time because he's fallen in love with that three and he can hit it at a high clip, especially for a guy like like seven foot three and like with that sort of body. But I'd like to see him like either slip it and just go right to the hoop because no one's catching it higher than he can uh, with any t- any person on either team. So I'd like to see him mix it up between like the pick and pops and then also giving like pick and rolls and, and flashing down low too and looking for that high low, maybe with a third option at the top instead of him. But uh, no, it'll certainly be interesting. I, I, I picked Dallas to actually come out of that series. Um, I'm a big Luca fan, so I'm obviously a little bit biased, but I don't, I don't think it's outlandish to, to see poor Zingas make a huge impact against the Clippers who have been kind of inconsistent so far this season. There's, they also have a black ace in, in their back pocket. You got to you gotta remember that they, they ended up uh, getting J.J. Redick. They, they have him coming off the bench. J.J. Redick is, is known in the playoffs. He's, he's been there. He's done it. He can, he's going to be that veteran presence that they need in the locker room to calm things down when uh, they need to be more relaxed and, and kind of walk the team through the playoff uh, season. And he's a knockdown three-point shooter, one of the best ever. So you could see him coming off the bench and, and getting nine points just off threes. Do you guys have an X factor then other, like other than Porzingis, who's, uh, you know, who, who's going to sway that series or who could be the guy that really makes the biggest difference outside of uh, Kawhi, Paul George, Luca, uh, Porzingis, you, you said JJ, is there anyone else that you guys are looking to watch in that series? For the Clippers, I have to say Rajon Rondo for sure. Like the way he played in, uh, for the Lakers last year in the bubble was just, it was vintage Rondo. Like that, that, like Celtics Rondo, he controlled the pace of the game. He did what LeBron does to a smaller scale, like and allowed LeBron to play off the ball and rest a little bit. And he needs to be that guy for LA because they don't have a true, I, Reggie Jackson's, he's a good player, but he's not a real floor general in my opinion. 
He's not like a true guard who can facilitate the offense and make sure the guys are getting right touches in the right spot. And you, if I'm the, if I'm Tyron Lue, I don't want Kawhi and Paul George handling the ball every second of the, of the, of the game. They've got to catch it in good spots. They've got to come off screens. I, Paul George, especially with his shooting ability, but Kawhi's got to catch it down low in his spot and give him a chance to score every single possession so that he doesn't have to waste his energy up, up top, like setting up the play and stuff like that. So I think Rondo for the Clippers and then Dorian Finney-Smith for the Mavs. I love his energy. I love his defense. And if the Mavs are going to have a chance in this series, he's got to put the clamps on either Paul George or Kawhi Leonard. I, I agree with you um, for the Clippers with uh, with Rajon Rondo. Obviously, he's uh, he's been a bit of a suitcase around the league, but he's won championships. He knows how to play. He's one of the best point guards of all time, and I'm not afraid to say that because hey. he is one of my favorite players, and his leadership qualities, his confidence in himself and in his teammates and the ability to make his teammates better is what gets his team usually over the edge. His, his knowledge of the game, his basketball IQ is, is second to none. Um, he's definitely going to be an X factor and, and really leading this team past this tough Dallas Mavericks team. And for, for Dallas, it's, for me, it's got to be Tim Hardaway Jr. He's really got to show, show up and show out. Um, averaging 16 points this season, shooting 44% from the field. He takes good shots and, and he makes big shots as well. But to be that um, third option, I guess, for the Dallas Mavericks, you, you're really going to have to be consistent in hitting those um, big shots, especially down the stretch. Like you're going to have to be a factor. You're going to have to be a threat to that whole Clippers lineup to make sure that they don't sag off you for one bit. No, totally. And, spe and speaking of contenders, I know Caleb wanted to mention this and get, talk about this uh, in this pod today. He's got his eye on Brooklyn in the Eastern Conference, and I know he's, he's jumping at the gate to, to talk about them. So let's hear it. All right, well, rest assured, guys, I've already solved the NBA playoffs, okay? All, everything we're going to talk about leading up to the finals is just a formality, okay? There is zero doubt in my mind the Brooklyn Nets are winning the title, and I'll tell you why. So, first and foremost, the NBA is entertainment. It is a show, okay? And their value is offense. It always has been. We, when we watch highlights, guys, it's highlights, 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 more highlights, and what are on those highlights? Give me crossovers and one step backs. Give me some deep threes, dunks, alley-oops, no-look passes, buzzer beaters, sometimes a block. Okay. But that's a small tip of the hat too. Okay. The, the side of the game that really doesn't matter in terms of the product that is the NBA. So putting the ball in the basket is the name of the game. Literally. This is why the Nets are going to be the champs. They're destined to be. And I'm sure there's plenty of haters like hoping I'm wrong, but let me tell you not only why they're going to win, but why it's not the worst thing. All right. Think about this. The Nets have the most ridiculous group of scorers ever assembled. Compare them to the Miami Heat when they got LeBron and Bosch to join D-Wade. Okay. So the season leading up, so LeBron's season uh, with Cleveland before he joined Miami. So the uh, season that these guys had before they, they came together, LeBron was averaging or averaged 29.7, almost 30 points a game. Wade had 26.6 and Bosch had 24. So they combined, like going into that season, these were guys that averaged a combined 80, 80.3 points. Okay, so 80 points. Now, take Durant's past season before, you know, this group was assembled with the Nets. 
Kyrie's, and Harden. Durant was averaging 26 uh, with, with Golden State that last year before he got hurt. Harden with the Rockets had 34.3, and Kyrie was 27.4. So 87.7 points between three guys, that has to be the highest number going into a season. All right? So not only did, like, they have career scorers, but this season, they're number one in points, uh, points per 100 possessions with 119.4. Number one in effective field goal percentage, 58.3%. And they get to the free throw line 21 times a game, which is fifth best in the league. All right. So those are really impressive numbers, right? They didn't even have their, their guys for the full season. I know what you're thinking. Nobody else did like this year. There's been so many injuries. No one was at full strength, but think about this. The Nets are the best offense in the league and their big, their big three only played eight games together. So they're going to get better. They're going to be even better in the, in the playoffs. Okay. So we're talking about a team that's going to average 120 points a game in regulation, easy. And that's being modest. Who can compete with that? Who's going to outscore the Nets four to seven games? Nobody. Moving on, not only do they have the best offense, they have the most star power. And that should be a real thing. Jack, I need you to come up with a formula to measure star power and compare. But who has more star power? The NBA is a star-driven league. In the playoffs, it gets ramped up to a whole new level. Speaking of the net stars, Durant, my opinion, the most offensively gifted player ever to play the game. He can get buckets anywhere, anyhow. Okay, James Harden, basketball savant. He has solved the game of basketball. Okay, or solved the game of offensive basketball. I, I will, you know, defense. We all know. Okay, well, he's good in the post sometimes. I always say, but no, like, doesn't matter. He solved offensive basketball. If the NBA was NASA, James Harden would be their director of offensive intelligence. Like he, he's got it figured out. Okay. So not only like, does he hit a deep three in your face with minimal effort? Okay. He gets to the free throw line at will. He's, he's got the refs solved. All right. They're their third star. Oh, by the way, it's Kyrie Irving who is so good with the basketball in his hands. He gets bored. He doesn't even like basketball because it's too easy. He can do things outside of basketball because basketball, nah, it's not checking on my boxes. I'll go do something else for a while. This is this this isn't a challenge anymore. So the guy has the best touch on the basketball, I I think I I've ever seen and probably the league has ever seen. The most coordinated finisher in league history. His ability to manipulate the ball with his spin is is out of this world. I, I joke with you guys like he could spin the ball off my hoop, in my backyard, or St. Mike's hoop, and it'll go in the net in Brooklyn. Uh, there's. <laughs> So once again, please tell me who is stopping this incredible trio of, of bucket getters. I'll wait. Okay. But there's not, there's nobody. Even if you give me a scenario where one of them or like, where, Oh, let's say they have a bad night. Okay. One of them has a bad night. Sure. That's believable. That's gonna That's probably going to happen. Two of them. Maybe they can have a bad night, but all three of them, the same game, having a bad night, pretty unlikely for the sake of argument. Let's say that happens. Okay, they will lose that one game. But you now you need that to happen three more times. It is not going to happen. These guys are not going to have that many bad games together. And even if they do, their supporting cast is no joke when it comes to putting the ball in the basket. Who is their best or their fourth best scoring option? It's Joe Harris, 50% shooter from deep, basically. You cannot help off him. Okay, he's going to have at least a, one game each series where he gets 20 just because it seems like, well, we got to help off somebody. And watching the playoff games and talking about your beloved Warriors there, Jay, 
they would kill to have Joe Harris as their secondary scoring option. Sorry to all you Wiggins fans, but Joe Harris would be the second best option on the on the Warriors for it, and at least the third best scoring option in 80% of the teams in the playoffs. And he's barely gonna have to break a sweat with the Nets. He's just gonna stand in the corner and wait for <laughs> wait for his shot. So it doesn't even stop there. Okay. They have guys that put the ball in the basket for a long time. Um, and have playoff jobs too. Blake Griffin, top 10 player in the league at one point in his career. And <laughs> suddenly he's cured of the illness that was uh, Detroit Pistonitis. Okay. The guy knows how to put the ball in the hoop and he's going to get wide open looks. Jake, the, the looks he's going to get around the basket, I, I could get, I could get 10 points. Okay. And so that's another guy. Oh, Jeff Green, the guy's been in the playoffs like, I don't know, the last five years with different teams and he's getting minutes and making shots. Oh, there's also that guy, Landry Shamit, that the Clippers got rid of and because he wasn't in the rotation. So he probably can't wait to get revenge on Doc Rivers and the Sixers after his lack of minutes last year and the Clippers' failures. Oh, and then the cool, like, talking about X factors, you got to talk about Mike James, EuroLeague superstar, ready to show the NBA that, that he belongs. And honestly, he, he does. He's fun. Like, he's going to be a guy that I'm certainly going to follow. That's not even the end of the supporting cast. The supporting cast is about everyone on the bench and the coaches are on the bench. Let's talk about buckets. Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni are, are got their masters in bucketology. Okay. The, the book of NBA offense, okay, they, they both should have their own chapter. Okay. So to me, this is as much about D'Antoni and Nash as it is about the players running their system. Too long has Nash and D'Antoni been robbed of an NBA title for despite everything they've done for the game of basketball and how the game is played, especially offensively, or I mean, specifically offensively. So they, they haven't celebrated with an NBA trophy. Once again, who is competing with this firepower that is the Nets? Before I send it to you guys, hear me on why you shouldn't hate the Nets and why you should enjoy their title run. Okay, forget the super sensitive Twitter master that is Kevin Durant. Okay, forget him. Forget the alien that gets bored by the simplicity of the game. That is Kyrie. And appreciate James Harden, the most relatable NBA superstar for any college kid or young bachelor. He is so gifted at basketball, but he doesn't let that get in the way of his diet or his nightlife. Hell no. Okay, you can find this man at the club, living his best life, and he'll still come out the next night and give you a 30-point triple-double. Okay, the man performs as hard off the court as he does on the court, and we have to salute that. If that's not your cup of tea, you, you respect hard workers all the time, basketball all the time. Okay, well, how about just rooting for Kid Canada, the most unlikely star basketball player of my generation, at least, Steve Nash. Despite his greatness as a player, the NBA title has evaded him for this long until now. Give the man his damn ring as a Canadian Hoops fan is there any better hero for us to root for in the playoffs? So, Jaden, Jack, who's coming in second? Or tell me, who's going to beat the Brooklyn Nets? Well, Caleb, I'll, I'll tell you who's coming second in the East, and that's Brooklyn, because they're going to lose to the Bucs when they face them in the, in the playoffs. I just, I think all year, I mean, you cannot deny anything you said about the offensive superpower of this team. And the, the questions that were surrounding their supporting cast early in the year, they've been answered. They have a supporting cast. Now they're a great, a great team all around. I mean, it's impossible to deny their talent, but their defense is so unbelievably bad. I cannot see them making the finals. I, I like, and I don't even think it's just their schemes. 
I mean, I know D'Antoni isn't necessarily known for his defensive schemes, but like their effort level on D is awful. They think that they like, they can most times, but they just rely on outscoring their opposition. And it's, that's just not something I can get behind as a fan or as someone who think like uh, as someone making a prediction, I think the Bucs are going to beat them. I don't think anyone on that team can handle Giannis. Not that anyone in the league can. I think that Giannis will be the best player on the court in that series on both ends. I think the acquisition of Drew Holiday is just an exceptional play by the Bucs management. I mean, he's he, people are saying he's an overrated defender, but even if he's an overrated defender, he's still an exceptional defender. They've got Middleton who can hold his own on the defensive end. And I just think that's going to be the difference. I mean, when the game slows down to the half court, yeah, Brooklyn will be able to score a lot of the time, but the Bucks are, they're going to do a good job on these guys. And I don't think Brooklyn has an answer for any of them on the defensive end. There were times this season where I saw long rebounds come off the iron and all five guys in a Brooklyn Nets Jersey, just sit there and watch it go by. Like it was a, a shooting star. And then someone would just grab it and get a layup. Like they don't, it's like, they don't even try on D and that's, that's the reason I, I can't pick them coming out of the East. I think the bucks will beat them. And or the Philadelphia 76ers also have a chance to beat them as well, um, especially with their size and, and their their battle tested bigs down low. I, I, I got to agree with Caleb. I think that Nets are going to take it in the East. Uh, no, no contest, really. The, the only team I could see maybe making a run at them would be the, the Miami Heat. I think that the, the Miami Heat are going to take down the Bucks in this first round. And just because of their history of being such a good defensive team, they have the work ethic. And the only way that they're going to be able to beat Miami, or sorry, the only way they're going to be able to beat Brooklyn is by just locking them up entirely. Just focus 100% of their efforts on the defensive end, then work out to getting uh, some easy buckets in transition and that sort of thing. But the, the Nets, for me, it's, it's going to be a cakewalk in the East. There, there's no team that can that can really play with them in, in the West. I mean, I, I had said it before and I'll say it again. I think that there's a lot more uh, people in the West teams in the West that can, that have a better chance, but it's still, it's the Nets are going to win. There's just no way. Like, like Caleb said, Kyrie game's too easy. Harden, he can, he can hit you for 30, 40, any night he wants. And Kevin Durant is just one of the greatest players of all time. Those three on the team alone, there's, there's no stopping that. Yeah. You mentioned it, Caleb, as well. I just wanted to add on the point about the fact that those three have only played eight games together. And I, I know it could be looked at as something like they're okay. They've got so much time to improve now. They've only played the eight games together, but I look at that as much more of a negative. I think the fact that they've only played that number of games together and they've lost two of those eight games as well. But when the game slows down and the pressure's on, and these guys are playing their like, 10th 11th game together all season I think there could be some some brain cramps where who's taking the last shot or, or conflict between them since they are three very polarizing egos as well I mean Steve <laughs> Nash and D'Antoni have, have done a great job managing them so far this year but those are three guys who they want the ball at all times I mean we've seen Harden uh, kind of his usage rate go down and him become more of a facilitator but I think that they could run into some problems with with the lack of experience on the court together um, I, I agree. Like the, it's the too many, uh, mouths to feed kind of analogy that, that they could run into trouble. And I think you nailed it, the egos, I touched on that a little bit, but 
there has never been a group of egos like this assembled together either. Uh, I just, once again, it talent off, like putting the ball in the basket, there is no way anyone can, can do it as well as, as they can. I, I didn't say, you know, at full strength, because I'm not even going to say I Nets are winning. It, it's a wrap. I do actually think the Bucks. the more that I think about it, are the biggest threat to them um, because of Drew, actually, because I think he could give Harden or, or Kyrie uh, a little bit more trouble than, than anyone else. And then they still have, you know, a good, a good defensive system anchored by, by Giannis. So if anyone's going to slow them down, but maybe it's not even about slowing them down. Maybe like you said, it's, it's really about punishing them um, on the defensive end and taking advantage of what, yeah, is, is an uninterested defense, but uh, it, it'll be fun to root for, but I'm telling you guys, Jay, if you want to make up for that, that money that you lost on the Warriors last night, bet right now on Brooklyn, man. See, I would, but the odds aren't even that great. That's how good they are. Like the odds, of them winning it's just like i I break even pretty much so i don't i I don't know about that but i I am i am curious there there are a bunch of series that i'm really looking forward to like this uh portland and denver series i'm really itching to see how that how that's going to play out because right there those two teams are some of my favorite in the league with uh mellow on on one side and and Jokic and and michael porter jr on the other so I'm, i'm really Itching to see the, the, that game that starts uh, – that, that they have their first game tonight at 10.30, so I'll definitely be tuning in. Yeah, that should definitely be an exciting one for sure. But speaking of Jokic, he's got to be my clear-cut MVP. And just uh, a couple of days ago, we saw the MVP and the other award nominations come out. And for MVP, it was Jokic, Embiid, and Steph Curry, actually, who uh, got nominated for MVP this year. And uh, that really got me thinking – because I, I, I personally didn't have Curry as a nominee, but I, I just want to put that out there. I thought he's playing incredible basketball, um, but I just had other guys ahead of him in terms of MVP who have been playing at that level all season and who have the, the team success on their side. And so that got me thinking of the actual criteria that surrounds the MVP award in the NBA, because there's been a lot of debate about whether team success really matters or not. And so I decided to uh, look into that a little bit deeper. Um, and so I, I did crunch the numbers a little bit and I found that Curry would have the third worst win percentage ever by an MVP in their MVP season. Um, I also found that 84% of all NBA MVPs ever have had the best or second best record in the NBA. So that's interesting to think about. And it really, in my opinion, it, it, it kind of tells the truth that the win loss record matters and team success matters when you're deciding who's the MVP of the league. Um, Wilt in uh, the 60s, who was averaging 38 points per game, lost the MVP to Bill Russell um, because winning mattered and the Celtics were a much better complete team than Philadelphia at that point. And so I just bring that to you just to prove my point that the winning has always mattered. So when I was looking through the Instagram comments section, which might not have been the smartest place to look for intelligent basketball dialogue, but I saw a lot of people saying that winning doesn't matter. And the fact that Curry was leading the league in in scoring is all that really mattered. And the fact that he was breaking so many of these individual accolades. And so I I went into a deep dive on the NBA website. I was trying to find if the NBA had released any actual criteria for the award and they haven't. So the actual league has never 
released anything, leaving it really open-ended for the media members and the fans to interpret um, who the MVP is. So after all that rambling, I kind of broke down the MVP nominees and the MVP award into kind of three um, tiers. There's media narrative, there's individual statistics, and then there's team success. And to me, it seems like every MVP has to check off those three boxes. And if one box is, is lower than another, then one of the other two have to make up for it. For example, we have Russell Westbrook in 2016-17. Uh, His individual stats were unbelievable. He averaged a triple-double, first time in 40-plus years. He had the media narrative because everyone was wondering how uh, OKC would do since Durant went to uh, Golden State, but they didn't have the team success. They, were, they only had 45 wins. Um, they were six in the West, and Westbrook actually is the second worst winning percentage ever by an MVP. So his individual stats were so high that the lack of team success made up for it. And so it's kind of an interesting balance between the, those three uh, factors. And so I want to open up to you guys. I want to get your opinions on what you think is maybe the most important in terms of criteria for the MVP award or what your personal criteria is when you're picking your MVP. So I certainly team success has to, has to matter. Uh, yeah. So personally you have to be, I would say a top four team, at least in the upper half of your, and that, I mean, in your, your conference even. So that's why I gave, I know we talked, you know, off, off air before, like why I thought Chris Paul had a, had a good case um, just because he impacts winning so much. So to me, yeah, it's, it's team success and, there's got to be the eye test. Like when you watch a game, you have to, you know, feel like this guy is control. He is the reason they're making these things happen. Stats, you know, can be misleading in a lot of ways. So um, the eye test is a, is a real thing to me. And ultimately team success uh, should, should take priority over, over the other three, especially over the, the media narrative. I know we like to joke about how the NBA's MVP is, is not necessarily the most valuable player. It's just what's the best story this year is uh, sometimes what, what wins out. Uh, Jay, what do you think about that? I, I have a couple different thoughts on that. I would say uh, personally to me that individual statistics matter the most. Um, I would say team success doesn't matter as much. Um, because each situation is different. So in Steph Curry's case, uh, he has arguably the second greatest shooter injured for the past two seasons. If, if he wasn't injured, they would be, um, to me, they'd be a top 14. For, for Jokic, and I mean, obviously he doesn't get the media attention that he deserves, uh, constantly putting up huge double-double tri- uh, numbers, um, sometimes even triple doubles, but I think that it's, it's so tough. Like, like you said, Jack, it's very tough because it's all up to interpretation. Um, I think that it's, they, they need to have a set criteria, but to me, the, the, the thing that's least important is the, is the media recognition. I don't think that should be, um, included in deciding the MVP, um, I think the most important statistic is individual numbers and what a certain individual is putting up that season and games played too. Cause if you're missing a, a bunch of games, then like, I, I believe uh, Embiid has missed quite a few, which is why I think he's kind of in that third place right now. It's, it's really between Jokic and Steph who have been putting up crazy numbers this year. 
So I think you, you got to add games played uh, as in your criteria when you're picking the winner. Um, I still, even though uh, Steph lost the other night to, to John Morant, I would still say that he deserves to win MVP this year. So quick question for you guys. Does, what if we do it backwards? Like where would the team be without their player? So I think that's the case for Steph, obviously, right? Like his usage rate, like we're talking a probably the worst team in the league without Steph this year, the, the Warriors are without Jokic um, and assuming Murray stays healthy. I think the rocket or the, uh, the roster of the Nuggets is still, you know, going to be hanging around uh, the middle of, of the Western conference. So Jack, does that weigh in too? It's like, where would you be without this player? Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, no, I definitely think that way. And I, I see a lot of people like thinking that way as well, but I find that that's like, I mean, it, it matters to me, like, cause it's, it gives the context you need to really make it, make an informed pick on like the level of play someone's played. But like, at the same time, I almost feel like it's like not an excuse, but like kind of like a safety net in terms like for anybody, not just Curry, of course, but um, where it's theoretical, like, oh, if you had them, they would have been a lot better sort of thing. And, and the team without that guy would be, would be a lot worse. But at the same time, it's, it's they don't have they're not without him. And, and he's done everything that he needs to do to put them in a position to win. But the difference to me is that that they're just not winning. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to say because yeah, Denver is definitely, definitely a better roster than, than Golden State. Almost every team in the league would be, but for me, it's, it's hard to say that because it's so theoretical, but it definitely plays a factor in the back of our minds, like especially with getting the context we need to make like an informed decision. Does it, does it matter that when, um, if, if we are playing the what if game, if they weren't on, like if they weren't on the team is there someone at their position that could do what they're doing right now on the team? They're just not getting enough minutes because obviously that person is, is there, but let's say in Denver's case in Jokic's, like if, if Jokic wasn't on the team, let's say he just didn't exist or he was traded or injured or, or something else. Could Aaron Gordon be putting up the same numbers if given the, the minutes opportunity that Jokic is, if he had the, the weight, the responsibility, could he be doing the same thing? Yeah, that's a good question. I personally, I wouldn't say Gordon, but I mean, I think Gordon would certainly do better better in Jokic's position than say like Jordan Poole in Cur in Curry's position or something like that. And no disrespect to Poole, I've been enjoying watching him play, but you you know you're definitely right about that because with the opportunity there, I mean, Gordon is definitely a better second banana to 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 take over for Jokic than than any of the guards on on Golden State. I would say. I like this hypothetical game. So I got one for you guys. If LeBron is on the Warriors instead of Curry, are they better or worse? Well, I, I mean, a disclaimer, I'm a massive LeBron fan, but uh, I would say yes, to be honest. Um, if, if he stays healthy, of course, but that's another, that's another big what if theoretical thing. But if he stays healthy, I, I do. I think, I think the Warriors would have been better. I think they would have probably been the six or seven seed. Um, I mean, we saw what LeBron did in that, with that 2018 Cavs team. And that's something I was talking about with my dad, actually, uh, last night. I was asking him, like, I think definitely the Cavs had a better roster than Golden State, but I don't think it's that crazy of a comparison to make, given the fact that, I mean, he didn't have love during the playoff run, and they, they didn't have a, set, a guy on that team 
score, I believe, score 20 points more than once in per series or something like that. So I do think if LeBron was on that team, uh, they would be a bit better um, just because he also sets up his teammates so well. I mean, Curry does that too, but I mean, when Curry's drawing two guys, like the rest of the team, they need to score. And I think just think if LeBron was drawing two in that same scenario, they'd get more easy looks. Jay, what do you think? I disagree, but I, I want to ask you this also, Caleb, just to get more clarification. Are we talking like LeBron right now, if they got traded today, straight up, um, Curry goes to the Lakers, Braun goes to Warriors? Is that what we're Yeah, we're specifically about, about the, the Warriors. Like, just who's going to do the most with that roster and that support? Yeah, I, I, I didn't know if you meant like like today like in, and including their past, because in the past, obviously, LeBron has known to take shitty teams and bring them along to the finals. Yeah. Um, I would disagree with you, Jack, and I would say because Curry is still drawing the double team and triple teams and, and quadruple teams. So I think that right now, right now there's no one that, that can really is a high-volume scorer on the Warriors. There's no one that can do what Curry's doing. There, there is obviously Clay Thompson. But I, I think that the there's no one there's no one that can go out and get 40 points for the Warriors. Obviously, if LeBron was there, he could. But we all know he's a he's a pass first playmaker kind of player. So I don't think that there's a, just their system and the way that they run things. Uh, a lot of up and down. Obviously, LeBron's getting up there in age and he's more of a in the half court um kind of player pass out of the post always look for cutters I don't think that I don't think that LeBron would would work as well as Curry is doing uh right right now and and also for the rest of his career what do you think Caleb so I set this up because uh wanted to give it like it would never the answer is it would never happen anyways LeBron wouldn't let it get to this point when he plays with young and experienced guys that can't make buckets he plays the role of GM and he ships him out of town. Like, <laughs> um, so, but I think that's why it's fun to, to argue because I think Steph is actually really good. Like he doesn't, he's got better or my style of leadership or what I appreciate better about his leadership. He's like, well, we're going to make the best of it guys. And he's like trying to help the team. He's not going to complain about what they can't do. He's just going to go out and, and try and, you know, maximize their potential where, LeBron, we saw with those Lakers teams with the, all the youth he had. He just like, nah, get these guys out of here. I'm not playing with with these guys. They're they're not serious enough for, uh, for him. So I, I think it would have been blown up. Uh, it, so my hi- hypothetical question uh, was was rigged for you guys. Uh, I just personally, I don't think LeBron would have tolerated uh, that that roster. If he if he did so since I'll, I'll I will answer my own my own question too if he did definitely makes them better defensively and I think um, they're more they are more competitive because he can get a a bucket like against that Memphis team I think uh, he would kind of will them to win with his like sheer physicality and athleticism and he could also you know get a few more rebounds for them a few more stops. Um, and then maybe even post up. Right, so his his effort, his energy exertion probably wouldn't have been as high as Steph, right? Like Dylan Brooks face guarding LeBron probably wouldn't have bothered him nearly as much as uh, as it did Curry. That's a crazy thing to say considering 
didn't really bother Curry for his 30. But it's all about matchups, right? Like, yeah. there's no one on Memphis that can oh, – okay, there's no one in the world that can guard LeBron. But especially on Memphis, they don't have um, a, a great defensive player with the body size similar to LeBron to base guard him and, and bully him all night long. Like, there's no – they just don't have that. Um, so, I, I definitely I, – I see what you're saying. I, I just don't think that um, it like it's it's very tough to to make that um, suggestion and and just to kind of see a world where LeBron's on the Warriors. No worries. So that that's just all I wanted to mention, just in terms of the MVP nominations and not and the award criteria. Um, I think I do think the NBA needs to at least give maybe like at least put out the broadest criteria of all time, just so that there's something to base it off and it's not completely up to just who has the more fans or who scored the most or who, uh, the, who the media wants to win at the beginning of the year sort of thing. So I, I, that's all I wanted to mention about the, uh, the MVP award. So if you guys don't have anything else to say, I think we're uh, going to move into our interview with Ryan Barbeau now. Okay, so we are joined today by local hoops legend, a uh, good friend of mine, probably can describe him best as just a winner, uh, a tough point guard that got it done at every level. Um, one of the things I really admire uh, about, about Ryan uh, Barbo, our guest, is his ability to finish through contact. In fact, it was in- infuriating as someone trying to guard you, Ryan, uh, you know, we're always taught foul to make sure they don't make the layup and you would always convert them. And we'd look over at our coaches and they'd be like, what the hell are you doing? So thank you for making uh, my job as a defender, a pain in the ass, but most of you foul harder. Isn't that what they're saying? Yeah. (laughs) harder. But I thought I did a pretty good job, Uh, but no, (laughs) you, your, your ability to finish through contact, especially as you know, a a smaller guard, especially at the levels that you're, you're playing at is um, on like, really anyone I've, I've ever watched, uh, locally. So, uh, that's just one of your, your, uh, one of your talents, but, uh, excited to have you, Ryan. Thanks. Thanks for coming thank on you. the pod. Yeah, no, thank you guys. I've, you know, as I said before, I've been watching your YouTube videos with the local girls and it's just such a great way to get that information out there and to get, you know, those kids, the exposure that a lot of them, to be honest, are deserving of right now because they work so hard. So it's great that you guys are doing that. And, and I'm excited to be on here and, and talk some trash with you and, and, and get this going. That's what it's all about. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, like you're going to help us grow the game. That's what we're, we're trying to do. And uh, I'm sure you have a lot of knowledge and uh, some great stories to share and, and help us continue to, to build uh, the basketball culture in our, in our area. So let's start right at the top, man. How did, how did basketball come to be? Why basketball for you? Um, I mean, it's a big, it was a big thing with my dad. Um, he was a big basketball guy growing up. He played you know, high level basketball, high school, and then in the university as well. Um, you know, when he started the, the Belleville Spirits program, when I was in grade, I think my first rep team was grade three. Um, we weren't very good. I don't think we won for five years. It took a long time to get that from the grassroots up, right? Like, but he started that program for us. And, and um, you know, ever since, you know, he put that team together and we kind of had the same group of guys going up from you know, grade three, all the way through high school. Like we really didn't have, we had some other guys filter in and out, but that whole thing where it was basketball because you were with your buddies and you were playing all, you know, all the time. And 
um, starting it that way was, was, was great. Um, you know, and then another big part for me with basketball was just, you know, being able to do, you know, being able to work on it on my own. Like it wasn't something that I needed anybody else for. Um, I played, you know, I played for hours just on my own simulating different drills and stuff in my driveway. And, um, I just love that part. I love that I could just be alone with it. I love that I could just, you know, kind of do it at my own pace when I wanted to. And then, you know, the, the competitiveness and the speed of basketball and how it's played and all those, the different things about it were just, you know, things that I fell in love with early on. So, but huge credit was to my, my, my dad. He, he just, he put the ball in my hand. He got me the hoop. He got the team started. He got the after dinner league going. He got the little NBA going. Um, you know, so he put all those things in front of me and all I had to do was, was kind of, you know, start dribbling. So like, that's, that's kind of why I started going. Yeah. So you went to Nicholson after your spirits days, or, I mean, you continue to play with the spirits. Uh, so mm -hmm. Nicholson has a great basketball history, probably the strongest in, in Belleville. Uh, I don't think that's much of an argument. So during your time there, you got three offs of golds. What was that experience like? Or give me some of your, your favorite stories on your, your quest for the three-peat, or, or maybe you can talk about which one was the hardest or your, your favorite to get. Yeah. Um, geez. I mean, they're all great. Um, they all had different, you know, elements to them, right? Like the first one being, you know, we were playing in Windsor. We were, you know, that last final game too, where we just, I don't think we could have played any worse in the first half. Um, and that like adversity of being down 12 to the 12 seed. Right. And, you know, you're thinking, Holy cow, like this, you know, you lose this game. Right. And, you know, and, and, but so that one was tough. Um, that one was great for me personally, because I had, you know, my dad on the bench, I had my brother, I scored the game winning basket. Like, so that one had the, the meaning for me in that, in that sense. Um, the second one, obviously playing in our home gym was unlike anything I've ever experienced. I think, uh, even playing overseas and stuff like that was probably still my best basketball memory was winning that one in front of, you know, our crowd at home. Um, and then the third one, you know, honestly, we kind of had a, you know, we had a kind of a strange team that year, right? Like we didn't really have a lot of depth. You know, we had some guys that we could, we could filter in and out, but you know, that, that final tournament, like we really didn't play that well um, throughout. And, you know, so we got to the final and, and, you know, having played St. Francis before and, you know, playing them again, and like well, there were different elements to everyone. I got it. You know, the first one was, was definitely my favorite. It had to have been right. Like people driving up from Windsor to watch. Right. Um, and then just like the, the fact that you win at the buzzer and not, not only that it was me, but when you win in that way, it, it, I don't know how you, how you top that. Right. Right. Um, what so, was there a, uh, during any of the years or throughout, was there some maybe unsung heroes? Like, you know, most people have a good idea of, of your uh, basketball background, but is there any yeah. unsung heroes that, that really came up big in your quest for, for the gold? Oh man, we had so many, um, you know, guys who don't get a lot of, I don't know if the words respect or not, but you know, Tim Boyle was probably, you know, one of my favorite teammates ever. Um, because of how he defended and how he, how hard he played and how he didn't care if he had zero points, you know, he was going to grab 15 rebounds and guard the other guys, team's best guy. And he just didn't care. Right. And, you know, that didn't turn into a lot of, you know, offers for him, but you know, he had a great career at Queens too. Um, 
just because he played the right way all the time. Uh, you know, Alex McKinnon, you know, was just one of those guys you could put in at any time and he'd hit a three when you needed it. Um, God, I go down the list. You know, different games where guys would step up. Dan Collins had a couple big games my fifth year. Um, Tim Helferty, you know, coming off injuries was great our fifth year. Um, uh, second championship, Dustin Widger, like, without scoring a ton was was that you know defender we needed the, the point guard that I could play off the ball and he'd bring it up and and we had so many guys that you could just you could just throw in right and I think we talked about this a little last night and it was just like they just had all this confidence like that you know the coaching staff gave them to play and you know whether they should have had it or not I don't I don't know <laughs> you know like it's kind of that I don't know what you call it um something confidence anyways they just they just had it and we and we put them in and, and it didn't matter what the score was it didn't matter time of the game they were just guys were ready to go so we had a lot of guys like that um speaking that, about oh go ahead go ahead no no i mean we we're not winning any of those championships without those six seven eight nine ten guys like there's no chance right um because we, we we were good like we had some good players but so did other teams and there was a time where you know our depth took over and it just like we, we were able to plug guys in at, at any time and that was that was a pretty special part of our team yeah our, our conversation last night we said you know i don't know what it is you put on that that green jersey and all of a sudden you hit a higher it's percentage nice. of your shots uh, <laughs> so some, something in the water and those uh, water fountains in the hallways in nicholson those rims what, it is. what do you rims. remember um about the just the culture of the bay Quinney basketball during your your time in high school were there other great players or teams um, that you remember competing against or, or even just, you know, some other players that really pushed you to a, uh, another level? You're trying to get me to say your name here? Is that what we're no, doing? No, in the uh, <laughs> brackets, uh, I think, I think that goes without saying, like, we all, I mean, all of us have probably watched my mixtape like three or four times. Anyways, <laughs> so you guys know what's up. <laughs> no, man, that's a good question. Um, I mean, you know, for my, my five years of equity basketball was pretty good. Um, there were, four, I mean, Quinny, St. Teresa when Johnny was there, um, Moira, uh, even Centennial at times were tough. Uh, you, know, you know, Aaron Fast, yourself, Vanderbeek, and Ogden Searle. Um, I'm missing guy, Cody Wright, Andrew Brandt, like those guys we played against. Like, everybody can play. Like, there, were, there just weren't many bad basketball players at that time that, you know, were on those teams. Um yeah, we had some really good rivalries, man. Like Moyer was always a big one. Um, just because we feel like we'd always see them in tournaments during the year too. So we're playing them like six times. <laughs> and then you get to the big Queen final and you're like, holy cow, these guys again. And the games would always be good, right? And well, Jamie Searles. One thing I remember certainly was I thought our fan support was was awesome. When we played those, Crazy. you know, when we played you guys or when we played Moira, like we had a lot of support at the games Crazy. and the environment was, was a lot of fun to play in. No kidding. And you pack 200 people in your small gym. feels like they're standing on top of you. You can't dribble the ball to the sideline. Like, like, where can I go? And, and you're right though. Like those games, even regular season games were packed. Yeah. They were sold out and we didn't sell tickets, but you know, they were sold out because there was no room. People had to stand to watch regular season games with, with Moira and, and Quinny and, uh, even, you know, St. Teresa when, when Johnny started playing. So, like, it so was, yeah, that was a big thing for sure. What gym did you hate to play in the most? 
and love outside it like other than nicholson give me some gyms that you're you uh it's just in, in Belleville, you mean yeah, yeah yeah you know what it's funny because i people hate your gym i never had a problem with it i thought it was kind of fun i never really loved picton's gym to be honest um but again i you know it's that's where that like and when i was we were coaching young kids and we go to Picton, all the complaining and stuff about oh, the gym it doesn't matter <laughs> like you got to figure out a way to play in a smaller gym and all that stuff. Like we, so we just, I mean, we knew if we started talking like that, my dad was going to smack us anyway and just tell us to shut up. Like there was no, you know, we just, we didn't think that way. So I didn't really have a gym. I hated, right. you know, and even, even the picnic gym like that, when we came up there, like we had fans in there, like, and that was the most important part was playing in front of people. Like, so when that's, when that atmosphere is like that, you kind of forget what, what gym you're in anyway. Right. And, absolutely i i couldn't agree more ryan like that's what the it's the atmosphere in the family the tight-knit community yeah. um that on honestly i being in a lot of the gyms now uh well obviously with covid it you know i really miss the fans but in the last few years i you know there's a lot of empty seats and it's uh you, you can hear crickets sometimes and there's there's good basketball happening so it's, it's too bad that the support uh isn't uh where where it was but i think we can we're, we're that's what we're trying to do right is right. is uh get more people out and to uh you know be be right. fans and uh see some see some good hoops well that's right and you go through those times too where it's up and down with talent and all that kind of stuff and you know eventually it's got to come back you know with all the work you guys are doing with the kids at an early age like there's it's going to come back and i think when that happens like people are going to start to get excited again and you know at the end of the day, you do have to see the product first and you have to know what's on the floor for people to go watch. But, you know, I think, I think that's in, in progress. Like you guys are doing such a great job with that. So there's no question that it's going to come back. You know. Hey Ryan, sorry. I just had uh, one question um, before we got off the topic of um, your, your Bay of Quinney, I guess, basketball career and also going to offset a bunch of times. What did you find was the biggest difference in the offset talent and the talent at U sports? making that jump? Because obviously um, the best of the best are at OFSA in, in Ontario. And then when you go play U sports, I don't know if there's a big jump there or if it's uh, a lot of the same guys that are playing. Um, I mean, U sports, you obviously get the, you know, you get a lot of transfers too. So you get a lot of the division one guys sometimes coming back. So they get incorporated into the mix, but you know what? It's also was so good back in the day because you didn't have prep. And you didn't have anything else. So all the guys were in those tournaments. Right. Um, the biggest thing was probably just the physicality of everybody. Like, you know, the athleticism of, of some of those GTA teams when you went to Offset and played those guys. And you're kind of sitting back like, holy cow. Right. Like they're super athletic. And then you get to the you get to the youth sports game. And, you know, that's the, more so a little bit now. It's becoming more prevalent where, you know, the, the athleticism is, is, is high. When I played, it was there was a lot of skill. There was so much shooting, um, and if you couldn't shoot at that point, like it was really hard to play. Like especially with my team when I went there, like you just weren't able to be on the floor. Um, so the, I'd say that biggest thing for me was Offsa was was really athletic, um, and and U Sports. The difference was just the physicality and how skilled everybody was, um, and making that jump. Um, yeah, I, I, I got to go with that. It was, it was crazy. So moving on to your post-secondary career then, 
what uh, nowadays, as someone who's trying to recruit players to uh, come to our program at, at Loyalist, I'm interested to know what the recruitment process was like for you. Did you start getting offered, you know, in your your grade 12 or your fourth year? Was where was Western where you ended up going? Where was that on your list? Uh, was it always somewhere you wanted to go, or were there other places you were considering? Um, geez, I can't even remember. I think I started getting some interest in grade 12. Um, grade 11, I, I had some, you know, some conversations in grade 11, but I was, I was so small then. And, and, you know, I think coaches were kind of waiting to grow a little bit <laughs> just to see. Um, yeah. So I started getting, you know, those, those, in, those letters to come, those letters of interest coming in the mail and started taking some visits in grade 12. Um, I really wanted to go to Brock. That was kind of my, my first option, um, at that time. And I was trying to get Aaron to come with me and we kind of did our visit together and we wanted, to, I wanted to play with him, right? but. Um, did my trip to Western. I think my fifth year, I did a couple trips and just, I, I love the, I love the gym. I love the, you know, the Kamar coach was awesome. You know, he brought me up and we, all we did was work out. Like all we did was play basketball during my recruiting trip. <laughs> I was like, this is awesome. Um, so we play, you know, that, so yeah, I took the trips. I took, I took as many visits as I could. So I did, I kind of did probably, I did most schools in the OUA, I think just to, just to get a sense of, you know, where did I feel the most comfortable? Um, you know, a couple, you know, division three offers, a couple division two, like, but at that point, that level is, you know, the U sports level was so good. Um, and I could play in front of people that I knew and family members could come watch me that that was the right spot, you know, and, and it ended up Western ended up being the right spot for me. Um, so yeah, the, the process wasn't crazy. You just, you just got to go and, and take your visits and meet the right people and make sure you're, you're comfortable with, the program academically, like where do you see yourself fitting in, you know, living there? Are you comfortable in the in dorms? Are you comfortable with, the, with everybody around? And that was the biggest thing for me was just feeling comfortable. So would you have like a priority when you were deciding was, was like, where was playing time in your priority list? It's interesting you say that. Cause I, I mean, our Western team was stacked my first two years with, I knew I wasn't going to, I knew I had, I was going to have a hard time playing. Um, and this kind of goes back to what you were talking about last night, where how do you go from, you know, being a, the guy <laughs> for lack of a better term um, to changing your mentality of, I'm not going to score. And if, if that's my mentality, I'm not going to play. <laughs> so I was told very early on, like I had to be the best defender on the floor and I had to make shots. And the only way I was going to play was to do those two things. So, you know, making that decision was tough, but I also knew it was going to be a winning program. I knew those first two years we were going to be at the nationals. Um, and at the end of the day, like, can we talk about this again last night? Like if you want to move on to the next level, you know, the pro level, or you, you know, you're trying, like you do have to, and you can't be on a team and average 20 and, and like, it's just, it's not going to work. You got to have those, those accomplishments where you make the nationals and people see you and people watch. And so, I, I mean, I knew it was going to be tough for me to play, uh, but I worked my tail off. I, you know, I, I, I had to change completely change the way I approached basketball my first year um, and dedicate myself to defense, <laughs> which I was like, huh, I don't, I don't want to do this. Like I, I want to play. So um yeah, I wasn't the guy who ISOing at the top of the key anymore. I wasn't bringing the ball up. I wasn't, 
I was standing in the corner waiting to shoot, which was weird, right? But I was on the floor, so I didn't care. Right. <laughs> so. Well, it seemed to work out for you, but I am interested to know when was there your welcome to the league moment? This is something we always we always love to ask uh, players that play at the next level. And it could be a practice games or whatever. But when did you know I'm not in Belleville anymore? I'm not in Belleville anymore. Uh, well, going back to my role, I mean, we, there was a guy at Brock. His name was Brad Roots, one of the best point guards in the country. He's about 5'7". He was incredible. He was one of the reasons I was going to go there, too. I want to play with him. Um, anyway. So we were at Brock, I think, December, early December, early January, something like that. And I was guarding him. So I was, I was starting to start games and I was guarding the other team's best guy. And um, he drew, he had this thing when I watched it on film for two weeks straight before we played them. He, two dribbles left and the pump fake and another pump fake. And then he dropped fouls, shooting threes, right? And I'm like, man, I'm not falling for this. Like, I'm watching this. I know what you're doing. Two dribbles, and I'm just staying down. I'm going to block your shot. Like, I'm actually taller than this guy. Like, I can block his shot. <laughs> so I was like, I'm, I'm pumped. I know what I'm doing. Three times in a row, he got me <laughs> in the first quarter. <laughs> Three times. And I couldn't figure – like, he would just stay and pump fake. And I'm like, hey, that's one. That's two. He's going to shoot. And on the third one, he pump fake again. And I'm up in the air, and he's he's jumping into me. And I'm, I'm out of the game in two and a half minutes. Like – and I gave up nine points and I was like, okay, like the intelligence of people in that league um, was off the charts. Like it really, really was like basketball IQ wise. Some of those guys were crazy. Like, and I just, <laughs> he gave me a pat on the butt every time. He was like, Hey man. Cause I, I went up my visit, like him and I were, were buddies. Like he was like, yeah, we want you to come here and all this stuff. And so he's like, I got you. I got you. <laughs> I'm like, man, I watched that tape for two weeks, two weeks. Anyway, what was what well was the coach saying to you? Is it kind of like, well, got your rook or better luck next time? Or was he upset? It was almost it was almost like I'm going to let you go through this and hopefully it makes you better. You know, I, I think it almost too, because he knew we weren't very deep that year. Like we had seven or eight guys. He knew he was going to need me at some point, not to play a big role, but to play a, a part at the Nationals. Um so I think he wanted me to just learn to play through that stuff. And he, he let me, once he trusted me on that end, like he, it was great. Cause I got to, I got to make mistakes even as a rookie, which generally wasn't happening all that often, you know? Um, but he was a smart, really smart coach and, you know, really compassionate guy too. And he was just kind of like, yeah, this is going to happen. <laughs> you know, now sit down <laughs> for a little while and we go back in the second half. Like, so, yeah, but he was pissed. There's no question about it. He was super bad. Yeah. Well, you had a lot of success. Um, like, your team had a lot of success early uh, in, in your career, right? You had a really strong, strong program. I'm yeah. sure there's a lot, probably hard to pick, but give me your best or one of your best stories uh, from from playing with the, with the Mustangs. Man, just those first two years? Any, hey, if it's Any a, the best story you got. Man, oh, it's too hard. It's not too hard not to pump my own tires, though. This is tough. That's what we want. That's fine. <laughs> um, my well, my first year, the quarterfinal at nationals, I had you know I had you know 15 points was the player of the game. That was pretty cool as a rookie. Um, Game-winning steal. That was that was cool. Um, playing in front of, I think our gym, our OUA final or the OUA West final against Brock that year was crazy. I think we had you know, 8,000, uh, maybe not that many, 6,000 people in our gym. Just packed. It was 
the first time I'd ever experienced anything like that. It was crazy. Um, my fifth year I had, I scored 44 points and a half, which was fun. Um, so that was, that's gotta be up there. Whoa, I mean, whoa, okay. Which is fun. You like, all right, that you're going to have to elaborate. What was happening that game? That was were enjoyable. You, so did you get mixed up and were you playing like a, a intramural team or what happened? No, we were at Waterloo. Okay. Um, yeah. So my, my dad came down for the game. He came to every game, but he was there. I had four points in the first half. I don't think I've ever played works in my entire life. Seriously. Like I was out of my mind. I was walking to the, uh, <laughs> I was walking, he was sitting with Dave Boers and I was walking to the, uh, the change room. He's like, Ryan, if you don't start playing better, I'm leaving. I'm like, okay, you drove two and a half hours to watch me play. I got to do something here. So I, I just came out and went crazy. <laughs> I was like, he's not leaving. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, that was a fun half, you know, the basket felt like an ocean and, and we won. So that must have been – so I just – hearing you say that, you said 44 points and a half, and I didn't really take that in at first. I'm like, 44 points in one – like, obviously taking over the game, but, like, did your teammates know you were going to do that? Like, you had that mentality going into the second half? Did they say, like – or, like, did it happen after the ball started going in? They're like, all right, just give them the ball, get out of the way kind of thing. I mean – the first half was so bad. I think they saw me in the locker room. Like I was just so pissed. <laughs> like I was so upset at myself. Um, Cause it was one of, I think it was one of those games too, where we, we were kind of on the verge. We had a really young team. We were right on the verge of kind of making the playoffs. Maybe, um, you know, we, we had to win the game and yeah, I mean, at that point I was the only fifth year on the team with a bunch of rookies. Uh, so when they saw it starting to happen, I think it was kind of here. <laughs> you know, but and in that game too, I mean, we had some guys step up. Like I think, you know, I had eight assists or something. We had some guys make some huge plays. Um, and the crappy thing was I was two points away from the sports record. I couldn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> if only I had six in the first half. Yeah. If only you played better in the first half, but you know what your teammates are thinking? They're thinking, this is why the guy doesn't have to practice during the regular season. This is why he gets to stand on the sideline and yell at us while we're busting your ass. <laughs> yeah. I felt guilty too sometimes, right? Because I'm like, these guys are working super hard in practice. I'm I'm trying to work hard, but I physically couldn't really do it. So yeah. let's be just for whoever is listening. So your last season, you were playing with stress fracture, with a stress fracture, or maybe two, uh, two, I don't know how, two. how it works. So you got the I don't know what to call it, but the Ryan Barbo treatment, which is uh, <laughs> just do it, just suit up, just suit up. And I, I tried to practice. There. I tried. Every day I'd walk in, I'd start running, and then I coach was like, Can you get off the court? Like you look ridiculous. I was just hobbling around. Like I couldn't, you know. So yeah, I couldn't practice a ton, you know, but I made sure I was in the gym early on the shooting machine. I made sure I got my work and I just, you know, I had to find a different way to do conditioning. And 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 the other part too of not playing with your teammates for a significant amount of time during the season, you know, when you're trying to build that with them and and it just was tough. You know, there was not a ton of cohesiveness. Or it was just hard to do that when, you know, I'm not – we're not able to scrimmage with them during the, during the second half of the season. We're trying to make a playoff push too. So um, – To be that's... honest, Ryan, you're, you're setting a terrible example because you, you don't practice, but then you go on that year to lead the league in scoring in total points, uh, 483 on the season. And we talked about this a little bit last night. So you came – 
second in points per game. Total points, it was you. Um, we talked about a little bit about what that season was like in practice. So who beat you? Who was number one in points per game? Tell the story. Um, name was Manny Pascal, went to Laurentian. I told Caleb this story last night, but we're going to tell it again because it still fires me up. Um, he was phenomenal. So he was one of the best scorers in the league. He was 6'2", lanky. Ended up playing pro somewhere, too. He was just really, really good. But the thing with our league, too, is you got to make the trip to Carlton, Ottawa one weekend, right? you got to play the two best teams in the country back-to-back. It's tough, it's tough to play well back-to-back. It's just tough to play there. It's, it's you know, their crowds are crazy. Their defense is focused on one guy. And, um, you know, so, hey, I went. I took my licks there. I played okay, you know, but it's just a tough place to go, right? Um, and he... Missed two games that year. <laughs> he sat out two games. And that was that weekend. So his points per game was higher than mine because he didn't let he, he took those two games off. And the funny part, too, was we played him the weekend before. I told Caleb this, too. And he made a shot in my face to win the game. So falls down. He wasn't hurt. Starts grabbing his ankle. <laughs> thinking, like, I'm walking off the court just so mad. And I'm thinking, like, Where's he going next weekend? Oh, oh, this is interesting. You know, he's got the he's got the background history now. He's grabbed his ankle once. Little injury. I know he's going to Carlton. I know where he's going. Wow. Um, so he played it off like he got hurt. But Manny, if you're watching this, I know you weren't hurt, man. I know you just didn't want to play. <laughs> hey, that that is a yeah. vet move. That is a vet move. I hey, I can't. It's it's tough to get mad. You know, I was mad because I knew, you know, and and like standings wise, and just like as a basketball player, like you want to play against the best teams. So why why are you taking those games off? You know what I mean? Like, it never made any sense to me, anyways. That way, but well, um, I think that just shows yeah. the the type of competitor you are. You want to, you know, obviously you want to lead the league scoring, so it should bug you. I think it's a good thing that it, it still bothers you. But I'm honestly like. I, I'm tipping my hat to to Manny. Yeah, I respect it. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, he was... did, hey, he led he led the league in, in points per game, man. Like, got it. That guy, that guy's legit. To this, yeah. He, I think I outscored him that game we played, though, but he got the one in my face. He made that shot. It was a crazy shot. It was almost half court. Yeah. I couldn't believe it went in. It was bonkers. So, you're uh, strong like John, um, walkathon that you're doing is uh, part of um, raising awareness for, for mental health for local basketball legend, uh, Jonathan Ogden, who we both yeah. had a pleasure of playing with uh, and also against during our times coming mm-hmm. up. Um, yeah. I actually, our paths crossed again uh, at Loyalist when I was playing and uh, we, were, we were just sharing some stories about about uh, what a phenomenal uh, basketball player he was. And uh, he, would, he would start just about every game that he played. He only played a few games before uh, moving on. Uh, so he played some exhibition games, and they would always start with back-to-back triples from, from Johnny O. But the the story that really stands out to me was uh, we were just messing around uh, in the gym at Loyalist before practice or between classes. And by we, I was just kind of on the sidelines just, you know, heckling. <laughs> Dude, that's what I was best at. One of my best skills is, is talking, talking to from the sideline. <laughs> yeah. But um, one of our players who I, I will rename nameless, but one of our better players that season uh, 
was, you know, he had his, his gym shorts on, his basketball shoes, and they're kind of messing around. But Johnny always got his jeans, uh, work boots, and, um, you know, the, of course, he's rocking like the plaid shirt, whatever uh, his, his swag was. That was his attire, man. So he looked like casually as hell gives uh, this player a little cross, spins to the hole, and bangs on his head <laughs> like nothing. And thank goodness there wasn't many people in the gym because I'm I don't know it. if uh, the certain players respect uh, at the low, in the low of this gym. You got to expose that player right now. After. No, I can't. I can't. <laughs> okay. I'm sworn to secrecy. It's about John anyways. So just um, Fair enough. his, uh, we just call it, you know, country boy athleticism. Farm it was strength. bonkers. Yeah. It didn't make any sense at the time. Yeah. It didn't make any sense. And, uh, Super, super, uh, tragic that he's uh, yeah. not here sharing his, his, uh, love for, love for hoops. Um, but that's something that you're, uh, you're working on with, uh, where, where you're at. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So we, you know, the Northwest territories and kind of Northern communities in general have a huge, you know, need for mental health awareness. And there's, you know, suicide is, is a big thing up here, depression, um, all those kinds of things because everything's so isolated. Um, you know, so this year, you know, I was talking to John's family and, um, you know, obviously that's, that's pretty fresh in their mind from it just happening, you know, not even a year and 10 months ago or something. Right. So, um, and what they're doing is they're creating, they're trying to develop scholarships for schools around the country to provide to graduating students who, you know, display resilience and all that kind of, you know, positive mental health and, and all that kind of stuff. So we're doing the same thing here. And we, this year we have some graduates who are going to receive bursaries and scholarships based on the money we just raised go off to university and, and, you know, cause you think about kids here and if they're able to, to make it out and get out of here and get to university, like the resilience that that takes based on kind of where they come from um, and obstacles they probably had to overcome and uh, is pretty incredible. And so, you know, I'm hoping next week we can get to the actual walkathon event, but to this point, you know, over the last three weeks, we've raised almost $11,000 um, for all that. And you know, so we're able to provide John's foundation with some of that money. We're going to give them some money to, to, to disperse wherever they want to. And then we're also going to keep some here. That, yeah, that basically, you know, in a way is, is, is through basketball, right? The connections that you yeah. make. So um, it's a great cause and uh, well, well done, Ryan. One of uh, Thank you. your, your yeah. just another uh, accolade on the, uh, on the list for you. Uh, um, it's a lot of work up here. A lot of good people working on it. So we, you know, we got a good team here. All right, Ryan. So we talked about your last year where you, you know, led the country in scoring. Um, no asterisk, man. There's no, no points a game. No points per game doesn't count anymore. Not total, total points. points. You put the ball in the hoop more than anybody else. That's we can say that. And that is, that is uh, no cap as the kids say. No cap. Um, so uh what was that your your goal uh at the end like your last season was that something you you wanted to accomplish or was that something you thought was was possible no it was never I, I knew I had to do a lot for us to win games um and that you know with the team we had you know we had some talented some talented players but they were all so young they needed time to, to develop and stuff I there was only one way we were going to be able to stay in any of these games. And that was, you know, for me to try to do as much as I could. Um, 
Yeah, no, it wasn't my goal. My goal was to play pro. And after that was to play professionally. Um, I wasn't sure kind of how that was going to happen. Like, I didn't know if I had an average 10 assists. I didn't know if I had to average, you know, 28 points. I didn't know if I had to be 6'2". I didn't know if I had, to, you know what I mean? Like, there were a lot of variables to that where, you know, even when I ended up going pro, I was, I still had to try out for the team, basically. Even though I had done all those things my last year, I had to, I had to try out or it wasn't even guaranteed before I signed the contract. So going into my final year, I wanted to win above anything else, but you know, I, I knew I had to, I had to try to do as much as I could. And if that meant score, then I could do that. If I had to, you know, if there were games where I had to get eight assists, I could, I could do that too. Um, you know, I think looking back to, I think I would have, you know, I'd approach that year a little differently now, you know, I think, maybe I, I did a little too much and some of the other guys didn't get the opportunities that, you know, maybe they needed moving forward. I mean, I didn't do that intentionally. Obviously I wasn't trying to, you know, put anyone to the side or, or not involve people, but you know, with the, with the group we had, it may have been beneficial for me to go 18 and 10, right? Like, I don't, I don't know, you know, in hindsight, it's, it's tough to say, but um, yeah, I was just, I was trying to do whatever I had to do to win the game. And at the end of the day, you have to put the ball in the net more times than the other team. And I could do that pretty well. So that's, that's what I had to do. Makes sense to me. Yeah. Moving uh, on to, so your life after, after Western. Uh, so talk to me a little bit about that experience of, of, uh, you know, testing the, the professional waters. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, it was, it was, it was a crazy process because, you know, you go from finishing a season where you, you know, I had all those stats and you're like, Oh, this is not going to be hard. Like, why wouldn't somebody sign me? <laughs> and then it comes down to August and it's like, I had an agent at the time and he's like, Ryan, we got one offer for you. And I'm like, Oh, great. Cool. When do I go? He's like, well, you have to go, but it's not guaranteed. I'm like, so I'm going to fly there. I could get sent home in two weeks if I'm not good enough. They're like, yeah. Who, whose dime was the flight? Uh, they brought me over. Okay. They brought me over. There's no way I was paying. Well, actually, I probably, I probably would have done it anyway. I would have figured it out. Like I was working at Eastside Marrows at the time. I would have taken my tips and fly my, flown myself over. Um, but yeah, so that was a crazy part because I was nervous. I was just like, I don't, I don't know what to expect. Like if I don't, if they're going to judge me based on two weeks of practice. Like what? Um, but again, like they couldn't see me play live. I had some video, but you know, I get, we'll get into this later, but video is tough to, to judge a guy on, right? You can't tell they're, you know, emotionally, you know, mentally, it's tough to, you got to watch guys play live. So yeah. I kind of understood that after a bit. Um, but I, I played well for two weeks, you know, I signed my contract and, and I was kind of off. And then, you know, the injuries happened. Looking back, I probably should have taken that year off having, having gone through those injuries the, the previous year. Um you know, but the experience was great. I mean, I was in a little town, you know, we had a restaurant we got to eat at for free. I got a car, I got all these things. Like it was, it was great. I wouldn't, I, you know, if I had to do it again, I, I may take that year off, but at the end of the day, like, you know, it wasn't going to be a 10 year career. It was probably going to be three, four, five, maybe. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful. Like I, you know, played a few games, played in front of some big crowds over there. I mean, the, the basketball was awesome. It was really good. You know, I wish I could have stayed longer, but um, you know, just being involved in that process of, of signing an actual contract and just going, whoa, I just put my 
signature on this thing where I get paid to do this? It's like, yeah, processor school. So after you're overseas, uh, you know, in, in Germany there, you, you return home, man. You come home, take over the Lancer, Lancer's uh, men's program. And uh, what was it like going from, you know, playing to coaching so quick? Um, I mean, you probably know this. I don't know if this, you know, you think because you're a semi-decent basketball player that you're going to be a good coach <laughs> and you think it's going to be easy and it's absolutely the complete opposite. Like, <laughs> I'd love to interview Steve Nash and see what he thinks because I don't, you know, again, and we talked about this last night, you, you're trying to go through, okay, what do I know? How did I play? What, what kind of things did I expect from myself? And trying to expect that on kids who didn't have the same A opportunities or experience or just developmentally, they just weren't in the same spot. And the expectations that I had were bonkers. And looking back, it was, it was stupid. Like I, it was crazy of me to expect what I tried to expect. And actually our team did pretty well. Like we had some good players and I was lucky. I took over a team mid season that was actually built pretty well. Um, but, you know, it was just a lot harder than I thought, which is, part why I took on my dad too. He came on a coach with me because I really had no clue. You know, I knew offense and I know basketball, but strategically and like the time of the game, you have to do stuff and, you know, timeouts and like, there's just so many different parts of coaching that you don't even think about when you're playing. Right. Like, why did my coach call a timeout there? Well, he's, he knows why I don't have a clue why he did. <laughs> right. Like, so you're going through all these things and um, it was just a lot more difficult than I thought. Um, you know, and it's, it's, coaching is just experience. Like you got to go through those, those bumps. You got to call the wrong timeout. You got to call the wrong play. You got yeah. to get a technical. You got to, like, you got to get thrown out of the game, which I've done, been thrown out um, through miscommunication. But anyways. Um, That's a great, a great way of putting it. Miscommunication. Yeah. I can tell that story. It's a good one. Uh, let's hear it. So I was at, uh, yeah, we're playing at St. Lawrence. My dad was on the bench um Kingston referees notoriously bad <laughs> like just for some reason hated me I think from high school like I just don't think they ever liked my dad and I they didn't like Nicholson I don't know why um so we, we, we'll get to that. we can we can get to that, <laughs> we can <help> you <laughs> <Okay>. that out. <laughs> so we, we go in and and St. Lawrence was really good really well coached it was a really good game but there were a couple of times where like our guys were getting pushed in the back and shoved out of bounds and just flagrant fouls and all these things and I'm like coach's job is to defend your players. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting mad. And I got one, I got one technical. I think I yelled something not nice. I was getting really frustrated. And at the end, I threw my like peripherals and my dad's sitting there. I think he said, I thought he said, just finish it. So we're getting towards the end of the game. Just finish it as in like, get your second one and get thrown out. <laughs> and I'm, so I'm like, what, what? So I start going at the ref again. I'm like, oh, well, he knows what he's talking about. I guess I got to get thrown out of the game. Like, I don't really understand why, but okay. So I go after the ref again, call him a bunch of names, and I get thrown out. And then <laughs> there's like a minute left or something. We're down by nine. I can't and uh, so we get back to the locker room. I'm like, Dad, I got I to gotta ask you, man, like, what was the strategy there? Why did I have to get thrown out? We're down nine. He's like, no, no, I said, just finish the game. Like, let's just get through the game. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, shoot. So I missed a really important word there. And, uh, but I was just so fired up that, you know, I kind of always want to do that walk, right? Where you get thrown out and the crowd's booing you and you walk through the tunnel. 
you know, at St. Lawrence, how you're walking through both the stands. Um, so that was kind of fun, right? Like <laughs> they're like, ah, Loyalist sucks. And you're yeah. walking through. And so that was fun. But just a complete miscommunication. In, uh, in another universe, uh, your dad actually did say finish to get thrown out and then he leads the epic comeback and <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, right. So he's right. exactly exactly but, yeah there was there's there an alternative universe where he thought that could happen yeah i wouldn't put it past him he's had a lot of success so talking more about you know the player to coach transition how many times in loyalist practice did you want to humble your players knowing that you could give them all buckets <laughs> Well, there's, there's an interesting, like, did I want to or did I actually do it? Um, Both. Because it happened. I hope you oh, actually it did happened. it. Oh, it definitely happened. Um, just, like, guys just trash talk for no reason. I, I didn't understand. Hey, man, you weren't that good. Like, we checked your stats, but what does that mean? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, let's do it then. I don't, I'm your coach, but I don't, it's after practice. I'm not really your coach anymore. Let's do this. So there were some times for sure. Um, and then there were other times where, yeah, I wanted to, and you have to hold back because you got to get stuff done in practice and you can't just cancel it because you want to embarrass a, a player of yours because he's talking trash. Um, but can yeah, you, can you, sorry, can you name some of your favorite players to go against in your practices? Um, or if not, who's, who's your favorite player to coach? Oh, man. I mean, Pat was, you know, Pat was one of my first guys. Pat Kalala was one of my first. Um, he, he was obviously just one of those easy guys to coach because he was the hardest worker we had. Um, and one of the hardest workers I've probably ever seen basketball wise, to be honest, witness. Um, my favorite guy to coach. I know he was a head case and I know you're going to be like, what? But fun show was one of my favorite guys to coach. Like truly. Um, Cause I loved him. Like I just, I, I just loved him as a human being and I know he was crazy um, but I kind of like that about him. Like, you know, it, it just was, it was fun to coach him and he was super talented and he wanted to work and he wanted to get better. But, you know, mentally was where he, you know, actually he had a pretty good career after college. I think like he's still playing, um, yeah. somewhere. Um, but yeah, he was one of my favorites. Jordan Marlowe was one of my all time favorite guys for sure. I loved him, loved his family. Uh, he was a hard worker too. Um, so many Stephen Bailey was you know that five five point guard we had who was just you know just tough as nails and I love coaching him um I had quite a bit I, I mean there weren't many Desi Casista from you know Pembroke was one of my favorites um you know one of those guys who just like knew their role as a basketball player um and didn't have to worry about like so those guys you love you don't have to worry about any issues with them um yeah those are probably my top guys for sure I like so where you know where do you fit in on, on the pecking order uh in the lineup if you're going your your team are, are you starting for your team you uh the ryan barbo as uh the player could you play and coach would you be starting point guard shooting guard <laughs> <laughs> like am i on my own team at loyalist is that we talking about yeah yeah do you like oh, i mean no question. Who's, yeah are, no question you, i'm on there's no question i'm starting for sure are, yeah. are you taking the are you taking the last shot or are you passing a fun show are you posting up pat like who, who's getting the ball you can ask these questions hey eh? you gonna just make me say it 
Yeah, of course. Like I, I'm gonna shoot it. I got it. I have to. It's. I'm gonna take the shot. There's no question. No question. No question. Now, uh, of course, there were guys on our teams who could probably shoot it a little better than me at that point. So it would have depended. I may have had to pass it, but no, there's no way I was passing anything that back. No way. Who would have had the most trouble playing second fiddle to your show? Oh, man. From my teams? Yeah. Holy From your cow. Lowest guys. Second Who would have been fiddle. like, no, co- or no, this is my show? <laughs> I don't know if Pat would agree. I don't think he would have cared because he was by far our best player when I coached him. Um, I don't think he would have had that big a problem. Jeez. Uh, Funcho may have not liked it. Yeah. He may have not liked that it. That would have been my guess. <laughs> yeah. He, he may have had some problems with it. Um, him and I, if I was on that team, him and I probably would have fought a lot. Like, we probably would have had some fist fights. But, um, yeah, probably him. I don't think he would have liked it. <laughs> Even though he you got shoot. any, uh, so any, any maybe stories from practice or road trips, give me some, some uh, loyalist uh, some stories. If, uh, if you have any ones that you haven't already mentioned. Some stories, loyalist stories. Um, uh, well, I mean, so my first weekend taking over as the head coach, we went to Ottawa we went to play Algonquin and Lassie Tay, I think. And I only had eight guys, nine. I think I only traveled eight or nine guys that weekend for some reason. Um, and this, we get to the hotel. You know, we got 19 and 20 year olds, right? We got a game the next morning. Can hear stuff going on. I can hear the music. Um, and there's four guys. So I had nine. There are four guys in the room, just up and late. I didn't go in. I don't know what was going on. But they were up late, four o'clock in the morning, whatever. And my first rule was just like, you got a curfew, get your butts to bed. If you're awake, I don't care, but I don't want to hear it. I don't want to know you're awake, right? right. Like, don't make it obvious, okay? Don't be stupid. <laughs> There's a way to do this, right? Figure it out. Um, so I knew this was happening. I didn't go in. I waited till the morning. They're getting dressed. I'm like, you four, come here. I'm like, There's not a chance you're playing today. There's no way you four playing. So I, I'm like, I'm 20. How old am I? Then? I'm like 23. I'm like, this is my first game group. My second, I think it was this, it was the Sunday morning game or something. I'm like, we just beat Algonquin. We needed to win this game. I'm like, but I got to do something. You're like, I can't have these guys. Or it's going to be the whole season. They're just going to be disrespecting every rule I put in, right? So I benched all four of them and played with five. <laughs> played with five. And thank God nobody fouled out. Thank God. Um I, honest to goodness, I can't remember if we won. I don't think so, but I think it was close. Yeah. What what's the, what are the chances that if one of them did fall out, that you had your basketball sneakers in the car and you were ready to go? <laughs> that was your real plan, Ryan. That's <laughs> we were going Hoosier style. We're playing with four. <laughs> playing with four. Just like, uh, too bad. Just a box um, and none. A box and none. Just a box, and, and we'll figure it out. Like. I was just sitting on the bench like, I don't even know what to do right now. I'm so nervous. What's happening? Like, let's just get through this game, please. And, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, other than that, I mean, Funcho used to use my office during his meltdowns as his personal punching bag. So he'd run in during mid-game and just punch stuff to let his anger out, which was always entertaining for me because <laughs> I knew it was going to happen. Oh, there it goes. Here it goes again. <laughs> and then three minutes later, he'll be back. Coach, I'm good. Okay, go back in. That's fine. You're good? All right. So, 
a couple good ones. You starting. Yeah, you needed it. You needed it. Yeah. So, um, so what's the difference? Like, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of them, but maybe pick a few uh, from the OCAA level, coaching there, and then taking on uh, the assistant coaching job with uh, the GGs in in U Sport. What was that transition like? Um, the transition was. I don't want to say it was tough. It was just different. I mean, you're looking, you're, you're talking about just the talent level. Um, to be honest, wasn't even that much more significant. Like it was better, but the OCAA's got some crazy athletes and some really good players. I think, I think what separates the two leagues, in my opinion, um, is just basketball understanding in general, like basketball IQ is, is, is higher. Uh, and the shooting, like the shooting is such a big part of, of the U sports game. That was, you know, so going from coaching guys, some of them who couldn't shoot and having to, you know, manipulate your offense to work with guys who just can't shoot it that well to now going, okay, this is a completely different look because I've got five guys or we've got five guys who can shoot. Um, and you've just got all these different options with those, but you know, there were just, diff- there were different challenges with both. Um, I think starting, we talked about this last night, fundamentally speaking, even university players learning how to pivot and jump stop and do all those things was, was tough. We had to teach that at the university level was just, I told the story last night was we were not allowing, we watch all this film of guys doing stuff off one foot, right? Layups and throwing the ball out of bounds because they were trying to figure out stuff in the air. And we're like, no one is allowed to do anything unless you're going to dunk off one foot ever. You're just not allowed to do it because we're making all these poor decisions. And so what I'm trying to say is like the fundamental part of it was the exact same. You're teaching the exact same stuff to both groups. Um, I think how quickly the university guys picked it up was maybe a, a little different. Um, but overall, I mean, you're, 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 it's basketball is basketball at any level and you, you got to start you got to understand where the guys need help and where they need to work on their game. And, and you got to build from there. And that was the same at both levels. What about the demands you can place on players? How is it different or the, the time commitment or the time requirements of going from OCAA to U sport? Um, I remember, you know, when I was at Ottawa, the, uh, the GG guys were, you know, in the weight room every day, often twice a day and practicing every day. Uh, in the OCAA, it's, you know, you certainly have uh, a couple extra off days. Is that the same yeah. as when uh, went there? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I tried my best when I was at Loyalist to, to make it into that environment. Um, you know, where if our gym wasn't available, I was going to Quinn Christian. Like, I'm like, well, what do you mean? We're, why can't we practice? Like, we're going to practice. Um, but, you know, I think the understanding of the, the academics was big, too. You know, you, you gotta you gotta give those kids time to to get their stuff done. Um, so we didn't do as many individual workouts as loyals, but my job as the assistant coach and being a full time coach was to run those workouts every single day with the kids with, with our players. So I mean, in a week, depending on our game schedule, you'd have anywhere from three to five individual workouts with me a week, three weight room sessions, practice, generally we'd probably have five or six guys coming in a day for film, just watching film that we cut up and break down with them each day. Um, so, I mean, the time commitment was huge, 
you know, and then on top of that, they're going to class all the time. So it's not at either, at either level, it's not easy, but I would say that there's a little bit more just because of the resources. I mean, they had me 16 hours a day, right? Like I, that was my job was to be available all day to them. So I could, I could, Hey, Ryan, you want to come down and rebound and work on that? Yeah, cool. Like I'll, I'll be right down. Right? Like it was very much, whereas when I was at Loyalist, I'm, I'm working a different job or I'm, there's just different things I'm doing. Um, but at, at Ottawa U, I, I was, I was available all the time to them. So, you know, they took that opportunity and, and, and ran with it, you know? Any uh, Gigi's moments that, you know, stick out to you that, uh, you know, were, were good memories or try memories or, as the assistant coach, were you saying to the head coach, just finish it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I learned my lesson. I didn't say anything. <laughs> um, you know, it was such a great learning experience for me. Um, memories. I mean, we won a lot of games. Our team was hard to right? We had such a good, you know, a good team. We didn't win enough there. We kind of had some – we had some – issues basketball wise free throw shooting was an issue um it let us down two years in a row at the at the oua final like we just couldn't make free throws um stand out i mean we just you know we had such a good group of guys we had a lot of guys go pro from those teams um you know so putting in all that work with them and you know made me feel pretty good um and helping them get there and then me having the understanding of what needed to be done in order to get there especially guys who played my position I guess maybe just like, what's your, your best takeaway? Like what's your favorite part of, of that? Or what do you, is your biggest takeaway from that experience? Uh, how, how did it help you? And you know, why was it a, a positive for you? Uh, I think, I'll, I think all of the time spent talking basketball with, with the head coach in the office and, and breaking down film was, you know, puts you in such a different, you know, mindset basketball wise, when you actually are able to pick it apart and watch it over and over again. Um, I just think my, my understanding of basketball grew over those three years. Like, I, you know, I spent so much time doing that, um, that, you know, my takeaway would be like, you put in hard work to anything, like you're going to get something out of it. And I made sure like I worked as hard as I possibly could to a help the kids get better at basketball, but, you know, help them progress on from school too. So my takeaway was just like, I, I that. I worked as hard as I could to, to get to where I wanted to get to. Yeah. Words of wisdom. All right. Time to put you on the spot, man. We're going best players. So best players you've coached from Belleville. From Belleville. And let's try and pick one. I know you're good. Hey, just a heads up. Anyone that you've coached, he's only allowed to pick one. Okay. Sorry for those that don't make it. That I've, that I've coached. Eh? Yeah. I haven't coached the girls, so I can't, I can't go there. All right. Well, there, that, there's a, <laughs> just a, a whole demographic. That. I can't, um, geez. I only coached a few years in bubble, man. I got Jared, I Jared Callahan. Yeah. I don't know if he was the most talented guy because Callum was pretty damn talented too. Um, but Jared was just, Jared was my favorite. Sorry, guys. I'm sorry. Like, I, if you're watching, he's my favorite. Because um, he reminded me a lot of myself, to be honest. Um, yeah, Jared. Jared. Tough, could shoot. Okay. Small. 
right? Yeah. You know, it's funny, the reminded of you, like, when we were watching them, I, I remember watching them with uh, with Coach Pat, and uh, we, we said that a lot, <laughs> that he, he, he was very similar, very similar to you. So whatever you were coaching him, uh, uh, basically <laughs> you, showed him the, you showed him the Ryan Barbo mixed. <laughs> yeah, he's my favorite. He's my favorite, for sure. Um, all right, at Loyalist, it's tough. Some reason we left off the list. Sorry, guys. You mentioned a few already, Loyalist? so you gave them a I mean, Pat's the best player I've ever coached at Loyalist, for sure. I'm not even sure it's close. Um, yeah, yeah. Yep, it's Pat. Buncho was okay. Buncho might have been more talented, but not as good. Not as good. No. So overall, in all your in all your in all your stops, or well, I'd just say I guess GGs, unless there's another coaching uh, experience that you did, but at the with the GGs, the best player I've coached there. Yeah. Uh, Caleb Agata. I don't know if you know his and him at all. He's playing in. Um, I mean, first names. Yeah, he's he's playing in. It's nice, so he must be good. He amazing. Like he was six four two two oh five. He's been playing pro now for four years, I think. Just like this ridiculous athlete, defender, like could shoot it most of the time, <laughs> but just like the confidence and the athleticism and finishing and the dunking and he was he was phenomenal. So I just thought of this and it might one of those guys might be the answer. Who would you not want to play against of all the guys that you coached? Play again. Like who would you either hate to be guarded by or hate to have to guard of all the players you've coached? I don't think I'd want to be guarded by him. Um, that's for sure. <laughs> I watched too many times where he locked down guys. Um, okay. So he's and who would you hate one. to have to defend? That I coached, he's yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't coach Johnny Brahana Mescal. I know you know him. Um, he was at Ottawa U the year before I got there. He would be one I wouldn't want to guard ever because <laughs> he's, he's still playing pro. Um, geez, there's so many guys. There's a guy named Brandon Robinson who played for us too. He's about six seven, played the two, just ridiculously wow. talented. Um, not the hardest worker. <laughs> Which what held him back? Um, I'm not sure I'd want to guard him. I don't know what I would do. <laughs> he may look make me look silly. I, I don't know what I. I'd have to foul him and be physical, and I, you know. But he was so good. I don't know. Fair enough. Fair enough. But I like it. It was a you know a short list. Eh? There was only like well, I guard everyone. To it seems think like of guys. Yeah. Because you know me, like I'm like well, nobody can guard me and. <laughs> like I'll guard whoever I don't care, you know. Uh, whether I do it well or not, I have no clue. But I'll, it doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> right. That's right. That decision is above your pay grade, right? If the That's coach right. says you're guarding this guy, then yeah, you know you don't have a choice. You go and guard. All right. So um, the question that I we all want to know uh, it's more local hoops. Might be a tough question for you, and maybe it's news to you. But why do so many people hate Nicholson? Yeah, it's a great question. It's a really good question. And I know you know the answer. Um, <laughs> because you hate <laughs> you hate okay, there the misconception that Nicholson players are cocky is weird. Okay. It's not that's not it. We won. We win. We won all the time. 
right? I mean, I don't know why people hated us so much, why referees didn't like us. I'm not really sure. I mean, I think I was a part of that problem. I was pretty confident um, <laughs> in, this, in this things that I said and the way I played. But I don't, I don't really know the answer, to be honest. I, I think when you're winning stuff, people resent it. People don't like it. Um, and I get it. I'm not mad at anybody who didn't like us. I'm not mad at anybody. Because it means that we were doing what we were supposed to do. <laughs> Good question, though. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. But, I mean, you did. What do you think exactly my answer should be? Say, um, no, I, I 100% think it's just uh, because you, when, you, when you win that often, you know, you're going to get resentment. But you forgot. You didn't win all the time. I have a medal, a Bay Quinney medal that we got uh, that we defeated Nicholson for um, in, a, in a brutal game. I think it finished like 34 to 32. So in your defense, though, Ryan, it was, was the I year on that team? you moved up. You were not. So it was the year before. you. But I don't think this is relevant. No, I'm, if I'm not a part of it, what does it mean? And Nicholson did not win all the time. I think I was sleeping. <laughs> um so, but I think you are the reason, not you, but Nicholson is the reason why I still refuse to wear anything green and why I can't yeah. even cheer for like the Michigan States and uh, any team. Really? It, go, it runs that deep, eh? It, it does. I went through my wardrobe oh, okay. the other day and I have one green clothing or article of green clothing. And it's a <laughs> vest. <laughs> That's incredible. You know yeah. what? I'm kind of glad though. And I hope other people are doing the same thing. I hope nobody's wearing green anyways. <laughs> Um, no, you know, like I, with, with the, the six, one, three brand where it, it's about love for all competing. And then at the end of the day, but like, honestly, nothing's better than a good rivalry. I totally you know, agree. Like totally. I, I remember one of the, the talks we had pregame with, with Jaden's group before we played Nicholson. It's like, this game matters. Like I was basically speaking from the heart, like this game matters to me guys. Like, no you, question. You, you, There's you, no you, question. Yeah. On a more serious note. And this is really what it's all about. Ryan, is yeah. what advice would you share with the next generation of hoopers that are looking to play post-secondary ball? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, you know, I try to talk to as many kids as I can when I'm around them, just, you know, just to provide insight and advice to that stuff because, you know, there's this misconception, I think, that you have to be a really, really, really good player to play. Like, oh, if I'm not the best player on my team, I'm never going to – it's like, no, that's, that's just not the case anymore. Right. And I think, you know, we touched on this last night, too. When you're getting recruited, and I think this might be the biggest thing. You have to understand that you're, you're not going to be the best player on your team moving forward like the next year. It's very rare that that's going to happen. Um, so you have to have the mindset that, you know, first of all, understand what you're good at, like what your best skills are. Um, you know, work on that a ton. Uh, and, and, and just be comfortable with, you know, not necessarily being the guy all the time. Like, I think people have a hard time with that. I think, you know, if I'm, if you're the fourth best player on the team, fifth, best, like people have a hard time standing in the shadows now and thinking that they're not important or that they're not contributing to the success of the team. And you think about the best teams, like those are the most important guys. <laughs> Like your best players are not that important to be honest, because you're taken care of. Like they're they're good. It's how you figure out those next five or six that really make your team as good as they're going to be, right? And you know, with our teams back in the day, like I'm, I don't want to go into it a ton, but 
again, we were never going to be good if our six through 11 thought, Hey, you know what? I should be, I should have the ball here. I need to be, you know, this is my play. I need to have, it's like, no, like the understanding of that is so important. Um, and then I, I also think too, like, you've got to play, like, you just have to play a ton of basketball. If you want to, if you want to play next level, like there's, there's no excuses. There's no, I can't find a gym. I can't, there's the, you can't have that mentality ever. And it's so important to just go out and play basketball as much as you can and try to learn from people, try to, you know, if you're, if you're at a camp, like ask questions, like you should constantly just be trying to feed yourself with information and make yourself better. Um, you know, I think those two things for me would be, you know, there's my advice, like just play, like get out and play, work on the fundamental basketball stuff that coaches teach. Um, because those are the most important things that, you know, university guys, when they're, when, when we're looking at players, not the guy who can throw down a windmill dunk or crosses a guy over and makes him fall down. Cause that happens once every 27 games, right? Like you want the consistency, you want the footwork, you know, coaches want the attitude. And that's why watching kids live is so important because attitude and mentality and how kids overcome adversity within a game is really important. Um, so those things. It sounds like you're saying, you know, talent. I said a lot is, of things there. <laughs> well, no, I think it's great. I what I'm taking away is is talent is maybe half the battle. It seems it's a lot maybe. more to do with your your mental, your work ethic, which is controllable. But obviously, as you know, we've all coached a lot of players. Uh, sometimes, the, well, probably the hardest thing is to you know get someone's uh, mindset to to change or yeah. to grow. Yeah. Because if you're not, I mean, again, I'll say it again. Like, you're, if I'm going to university out of high school, the chance of me being the best player is slim to none. So I've got to change my game, which I had to do, or I wasn't even going to play. And I was like, I'm, I'm averaging 30 points a game in high school. If I don't play defense, I'm not going to play. It just, it, I couldn't even register in my brain how that was going to work, right? And so, if you if you learn how to play a role on a team well, you, you can play on any team. Like, if you if you can defend and you can make shots and you can do things that your coaches are asking, you're always going to have a spot on the team. Like there's, there's no doubt about it, but if you try to be the man all the time, well, that's, that's not going to work. Like we say, there's a lot of ways to help win a basketball game. And a coach is looking like at the end of the day, when they're recruiting you, they want someone that's going to help their team win games. And it's not always being the man. It's like you right. said, getting that key stop, hitting the open shot, dominating your, your role. Absolutely. Yeah. Or just being a good teammate sometimes too is, is like, you know, we, and I think, you know, Gino or had that thing where he's like, yeah, we watched the bench on film. And so actually at Ottawa U, we started doing that. Started watching the bench guys, at the end of the bench moping around towels on their head. Like, like guys, this isn't helping. And it's not helping you when you get called into the game. Like you realize when you just got called in, you turned the ball over three times. Oh, well, because you didn't care. You weren't focused. You weren't listening. You weren't paying attention. Right. There's all these things about, you know, yeah, I agree. Talent is half the battle, but like you, I mean, you obviously want to be a good player, but there's so much more. There's so much more to being a, a contributing member of a basketball team than being the best player. Just to, sorry, sorry, Caleb, just to add on to that. Um, you, you gave a great, some great advice on how local hoopers can get to the next level um, by being a great teammate on and off the court. What would you say? Uh, to young and up and coming coaches that that are still working through it, they're still grinding. They're they're still 
kind of in, in the mud in down in the trenches trying to work through maybe a tough season or, or handling players aspirations and playing time how would you what, what what advice would you give to them um I mean you, you gotta have that's a great question um you know I think you gotta stick to if you're a coach you gotta stick to a what you believe in as a as a coach basketball wise um and I, I just really believe like you know especially I'm just thinking of Belleville in general like that area like I remember when I was growing up, all we're working on is fundamentals. Like we're not that that's what coaches need to teach. And I know that's what you guys are doing. Um, you can see with the girls, like all, they all know how to play properly. They got good footwork. They can shoot. They have good form. Like I think regardless of winning and losing, and this is weird for me to say, cause I hate losing so much, but you kind of got, when you're, when you're coaching young kids, you, you can't really worry about that or you're going to miss the developmental part of it. Like, and I, I got caught up in that too, because you you win a you win a uh, division five championship. Well, in three years, nobody's gonna remember that. Like, nobody nobody really cares. Like they do, but three years down the road, they want to be in a better spot than they were that day, anyways. So you're just continuing to work on those things that are gonna make your kids better. A, they're gonna notice it. B, the parents are gonna appreciate it because you're putting in the time on the things that are important. And C, they're just gonna reap all the benefits from it. So I don't know if that answers your question, Jaden, but that, that's what I would do. That, that's what I do coaching, just fundamental basketball, that's all. So an issue that I sense is I, we have a lot of talent in, in Belleville, uh, basketball talent, but they're not motivated or, you know, majority of kids that I think could play aren't motivated to play post-secondary. So someone who's played – like yourself, like, why is it worth it? Sell our local athletes on the benefits of investing all that time into basketball. Might be a weird answer. I, you know, I, it's, it's worth it if you love it. And that's, that's, that's it. Like, if you don't love basketball, it's not worth it because it's a lot of time. So if you don't, if you don't love working out, you don't love being in the gym, you don't love everything that goes around Playing, which isn't just going to practice and playing games. Like that's, that's far from what post-secondary basketball is about. Um, depending on where you go, I mean, everybody's got their, their process and, and what happens at their school. But if you don't love it, then, then don't do it because you're going to hate it. <laughs> like it truly, you're just not going to have any fun. And it's, it's weird. It's weird to frame it like that. But if you really don't love it, you know, I think I had, I had a parent call me one time the kid was, coming to my camp or something and she called me and she's like no I can't get my kid to go outside and he won't play basketball on his own I'm like have you asked him if he likes basketball <laughs> and she's like no I'm like okay go well ask him like does he love basketball or does he like it and so she called me back the next day and she's like oh he, yeah he's, yeah whatever I'm like well you, you can't force kids to do it because they're not going to like it that way right like if, if they're not out on their own I don't, I don't know. I don't know how you, you push that. I think if you got to be motivated within yourself and if you're not post-secondary basketball is going to be very difficult, right? It's, that's just going to be tough. So if you don't love it, truly love, love, love basketball. It might not be worth it to be honest, you know, because there are so many great things that come around with it. There's, you know, the team functions, you meet so many cool people, 
you know, like road trips, games, big games, crowds. Like there's so much good stuff about it. Well, but you have to love everything else. Maybe let's phrase it. So for you, Ryan, why was it worth it? And what, like, I mean, I feel like I know you're gonna, we're going to go with this answer, but like tell about the, the, the things that basketball has brought to your life. Yeah, I mean, it's basketball has given me opportunities that I didn't think, you know, it's what's given me my best memories, right? Like everything I can think about that's happened to me has stemmed from something basketball wise. Um, you know, and honestly, I think the simple answer is I, I still love it as much as I did when I was eight. So there's no, it's the only thing I was truly, truly, really good at. Um, and I was really confident with. Um, and so like, that's why, that's why it was worth it for me because I was, I wanted to do all those other things. I wanted to work on my game. I wanted to get better. I wanted to, I wanted to win. I just wanted to like play and compete. I wanted at the highest level that I could. I wanted to play professionally. Like that was always motivating for me going into university too, was playing that at that level. Um, so for me, it was always worth it just because I loved it. I just love basketball so much. Yeah. Good answer. <laughs> all right. Uh, what it's all about for, for us with our, with our 613 brand and our, our initiative is how can we continue to grow the game and develop better basketball talent in our area? You touched on a little bit with coaching and stressing the fundamentals. Um, do you have any, any other ideas on how we can continue to uh, yeah, grow the basketball culture here in Belleville? Just put me on the spot, eh? Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, I think it's, I think everything that for that is, you, you, just providing kids with opportunities is is the biggest thing as many as we can um and, and that's what and all i see is you guys posting workouts and come to the gym and the gym's open and like that's really all you can do right at the end of the day like if you give the kids the time and the opportunities to to be able to work on their game like then it's up to them like then the kids have got to take some responsibility at some point to to get in there on their own um you know, I had a kid last year when I was in none of it that pretty good player, but, and I, he was in grade 10 and I could tell like, okay, he's got some skill and he may be able to play college at some point. And he's like, he's like, Ryan, will you work with me? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I'm like, but I don't chase you. Like, I don't, it's not me calling you to go to the gym in the morning. Like, if you want to go, you text me, I'm there like six in the morning, I'll go, but I don't, you know, I'll provide you with the opportunity because I'll be there, but I'm not chasing you to do it because then if I stop, you're going to stop right so you guys do a great job and all i see are these things being posted about the gym times and the opportunities available to these kids and you know if any kids are watching this like you got to just take it you got to get in the gym you got to take the opportunities that are available and, and you just got to work hard that's all that's all it is i appreciate you saying that and i know we're going to do some collabs uh when you're when you're home, we're going to get you in the gym and we'll, I'm sure we got to tweak some of your fundamentals. Uh, we can probably help you with your game, you know, uh, I'm watching too many DJ Sackman videos on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last, uh, question from me. I'll throw it to the guys is, uh, who's winning the NBA championship. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say who's the best player ever from Belleville. That was going to be an easy question. Um, <laughs> this one's tougher. Jeez. Oh, goodness. I'm going the Lakers. I don't, I'm not picking against LeBron until he loses and I'm going Lakers against Brooklyn and Lakers in six. I don't, I don't know. I would love that series. I want a fully healthy Lakers team. 
and a fully because their defense is so good. You know, I don't know how you stop those three, but I think if anybody has a chance, it's those guys. And they need to stop playing Drummond and sit them on the bench and get Saul and actually just cut them. Like I hate when those guys play. <laughs> just stop doing it because it looks awful. Um, but yeah, I would love that final. It'd be a great final. I go Lakers in six. We really do appreciate you you coming on and we can't wait to see you back on the court in uh, in Belleville showing these young kids what's up. I can't wait, man. No, again, you guys are you guys are doing some great stuff. You know, if I move back home at any point in time, I'd love to get involved and um, just continue to help you guys out because this is. This is such a good platform for information and, and, you know, all the opportunities you guys are giving these kids is awesome. So I appreciate it for being from Belleville for sure. Well, Ryan, thank you. And uh, thanks for being loyal to the game. Uh, we really appreciate your time and we'll have to do this again soon. Of course. Absolutely. So it was just awesome to hear from Ryan about all his experiences in terms of coaching and playing uh, overseas and in Canada and in the Belleville region as well. So that was awesome to hear from him. And we're very thankful that he uh, took the time to talk to us today. But Caleb, I, I know something's on your mind about what's going on in Bay of Quinney hoops the next uh, couple of weeks. So who's got next? Well, you know, 613 is uh, always got next. Uh, so now I'm really excited. We uh, started, uh, advertising our 613 development program, which we mentioned last pod, that will be kicking off uh, every week in, in July and on throughout the summer. So uh, 20 of the, the top players or top athletes uh, at the high school level will be invited to uh, run through our development program, which is really just a lot of, a lot of games, a lot of games focus and teaching them how to, uh, you know, be good teammates and uh, a lot of what, uh, Ryan and uh, and we discussed on, on his pod is going to be very relevant in, in terms of teaching these players to be the or to impact winning to help help their teams win when they do return to rep or high school or wherever they they go so that's that's the real thing that we'll be trying to stress uh, so that's who's got next is is us right is the 613 uh, also for those that are looking for extra reps you know we that we got the green light uh, to start doing our personal and our small group training sessions. So uh, we have myself and also another a trainer that is available to work with uh, work with our our hoopers to uh, you know just uh, tighten up their skills or you know get back to the fundamental work and uh, get some more get some more shots up and uh, help them uh, as an individual get get better too. So it's exciting to uh, have the opportunity to get back to work. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome to hear, Caleb. And in terms of who's getting buckets around the local area, I did have one shout out I wanted to make, and that is shout out to the doctors who advise the Ontario government on their COVID bylaws, because I couldn't be more excited that they finally got Dougie to open up courts and outdoor amenities for everyone. Uh, I can't wait to get back on an outdoor court and get some buckets and just get some exercise. It's going to feel so good to get outside. Uh, Jay, I know you were hooping once they announced this. Uh, how did it feel to get back out on a court? Well, it, it was amazing. And there was, um, thankfully, there wasn't a lot of people on the court at the time. But, yeah, I was able to get out um, yesterday, actually, and, uh, and and get some shots up. And, and I can't stress this enough, like, how good it felt to get back out on the court. It, it was mentally, it's tough. COVID's been tough for all of us. And 
basketball is an outlet for for a lot of us and and just being outside getting fresh air um taking your mind off the the world and it's uh it was really it was really amazing to to step foot back on the court um there was a couple of other kids and it was kind of weird I, I was really tempted to um to scrimmage with them but unfortunately there's still social distancing you still gotta wear a mask you still gotta you still gotta be safe so for right now it's just nice to get some shots up and uh and start hooping again so thank you to those doctors thank you dougie for for finally listening to them and hey we're back it's good to be back for sure i mean i can't wait to get out on the court and those doctors are getting buckets but that's our show for uh this episode of the pod thanks again to uh, ryan for joining us for the interview um, thank you to Jaden and Caleb. You guys killed it. And uh, we'll be back again soon for the next episode of the Loyal to the Game pod. Take care, everybody. <laughs>